right, I'm, cool. I'm probably going to speak it around this volume, but then I'm going to get excited and I'm <laughs> oh, going to say some oh, stupid oh, fucking oh, shit. Oh. Games, video 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 It's October 30th, 2013. This is Idle Thumbs 130. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. And we are joined by Zach Johnson. Yeah, I'm One Zach of Johnson. the creators of Kingdom of Loathing, an internet game on the internet. Yep. It's Welcome. been there for a long time. I, I realized the other day, well, I didn't realize so much as I, I think I just saw it posted somewhere. KOL has been around more than half of the time that the web has existed crazy wait, did when, when do you when, is the, wait, when was the birth of the web in 92 or 93 really i think yeah wow that's later than i would have thought when i was at U, i was at u of i uh in champaign in 94 and mm-hmm. they were like beginning oh, cs you know classes what? like they had they, yeah they had everybody use mosaic yeah and there was like a sweet animated gif of a of the enterprise going into warp speed right to demonstrate that oh check it out there's a picture of something on the internet. I, that that totally makes sense because I remember on Usenet, there used to be, it was like September 1993 or something. It was seen as like the floodgates of the idiots or something. Because oh, now, yeah, now it was like, now all the, col- the idiot college students can just go into the well, there web. Were like, there were multiple idiot floodgates because there was college access. Then the big, huge one was when America Online yeah, started yeah, having well, Gopher like and Black Usenet Thursday access. Thursday or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. As an AOL no. user, I was very excited by that day. <laughs> I remember being really annoyed by the this sort of rise of web forums because it's like why don't people just use usenet like why is everybody <laughs> like writing their own authentication systems and like just fragmenting this wonderful community that is that is every usenet? person on the internet <laughs> yeah. yeah probably because usenet it's you can make a web forum by just making it yeah but if you want to make a new news group and have it successfully propagated and synced and stuff, it's there yeah, was what actual, was the process like, for that? Was there like a governing body? Like, like how did alt. that? I think there was some sort of yeah, there was some sort of like uh, approval process for things that weren't alt dot, but anybody could just make an alt dot group. But, but then, how, how do they propagate out into the the like? Well, it's, I mean, NNTP kind of works like it's just sort of distributed, right? Like the mm-hmm. and the various servers that are like your closest news server will just have depending on the hardware that they had, would store, like, the last day's worth of posts or the last... Of the entirety you know, of Usenet? Or, or all of Usenet if they had a ton of space, right? Right. But, but yeah, I mean, I, like, I think it was just, you know, sort of like like a FIDO net, like, a, like an old sort of inter-BBS communication. We've invited like, Zach Johnson yeah. here for a little bit of, t- a little <laughs> bit of history, history about the early internet. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, so half of that. Yeah. The first, the first internet thing, well, other than BBSs, I guess, but... Which is not the internet. I guess, I mean, is it? No, it's no, not. No, it's not, because you're dialing directly into... It's a into, BBS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first Please. internet thing that I, like, was part of was rec.games.miniatures.warhammer, because in the 90s, I was super into Warhammer, like the tabletop game, mm-hmm. and I remember finding that Usenet group. And what's crazy is that that was in, like, the mid-late 90s, 
but there was already at that time like the super old guard of RGMW and like all those yeah. sort of tropes about like when all the idiots flooded in and like this and that was already like part of just the oral history of that like not just that community but the you know the use, using that as a concept and I mean like, there are specific things that are old on the internet because they are of just particular niche nerd appeal you know the sort of that they might be giants right is probably the first right band yeah 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 they were huge they were like used internet pioneers as yeah. far as bands go yeah yeah warhammer mm-hmm. that's surprising yeah i don't know why i don't know why that's surprising <laughs> i haven't played it in like probably well over a decade at this point do you still have all your figs um i don't know i have one i have one army that i haven't even looked at in many years that was a dwarf army the reason I kept it is because I took it to the first um, West Coast like grand tournament, which was like at a certain point, Games Workshop, which is the company that makes Warhammer, like started a series of like officially sanctioned tournaments called grand tournaments that were like they they put it on and like you to enter it, you had to have your entire army fully painted. And it was like very official and I keep all this garbage. I this is going to go to you brought your army to this Warhammer tournament, like this one that you had made. And then like one guy walked by and went, oh, nice army. And then for some reason that is what made <laughs> right. you keep it forever. That probably is. That probably like, is. Oh, that's my, that's my good army. I yeah. did something yeah, of value. Yeah. I've well, it was, it, the only, it was the only army I ever had that like I was actually fully painted because it had to be for this thing. And like everyone, unless you're super into that stuff, like – you just slack off eventually and just for, like don't actually paint the whole thing. Did they most, actually make you paint them well or could you just like um, – was no, there a guy outside no, selling spray paint? You, well, they actually – I remember there was a, a rule that they had to be – each miniature had to have at least three colors on it to prevent you from just spray painting the whole thing white or something. Huh. Um, so I, I do remember that there was a guy who – was disqualified because he just primed them and didn't actually do anything beyond that. Sir, these are merely primed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could have written a whole backstory about it. No, this is what these guys actually look right, like. Yeah, they're the beings of light. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, it was the ner- it was like definitely the nerdiest, probably the single nerdiest thing I've ever done in my life was go to that event, but like whatever. It was it was a thing I liked when I was in And elementary you came out a champion. No, 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 but I did okay. But anyway, I hung on to that because it was such a complete like that army was such a complete thing that I like assembled and put together. I, I did a lot of like custom shit to it where I like, it's weird thinking about that in the context of modding and so on, because at the time doing custom work meant literally taking like a, like a saw and like cutting pewter and super gluing shit together and recreating new things out of pieces of metal. You should bring those guys into the office. We should hang them up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I did play, play a pickup game on this little table. Right. So yeah, RGMW, Rec.Games, that miniatures like Warhammer. Warhammer 40,000 half court. Yeah, pick up game. Just go, down, <laughs> go downstairs and just start yelling, hey, anybody want to play Warhammer? I've got a complete army, three colors. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment all my life. <laughs> Walking around with this stupid backpack. <sighs> yeah. Why are we talking about that? <laughs> because uh, of Rec.Games. Use, uh, rec. Use oh, yeah, right. Of course. Yeah. Uh, this has been the week of talking about old dumb shit, apparently, because we were on the uh, Tested.com 24-hour Octobercast oh, yeah, live stream fun. over the weekend, and for some reason we spent the duration talking about Goatsy and the Space Jam website, I think. so. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean... If you want to watch that, as you I, do. Think, I think the, the Tested.com guys archived it. I don't know why you'd want to watch that, but... Is it it just 24 hours long, 24 hours of you talking about it? No, no, (laughs) those guys do, they just stay up for a full 24 hours and do a live giant episode of their podcast for like, I think it was for three charities. Mm. Uh, 
but then they book slots for guests so that they have something to keep them sane. And we came in for an hour on the evening on the first on that first night. Like when Andrew WK played the drums for twenty four hours straight. What? And he had other guys from other bands come in to play drums really? with him. So, yeah, so that he could just do a worse job of playing the drums for a while. <laughs> what a weird thing to do. What a funny, weird thing. Yeah. 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 The drums. So, yeah, the internet is cool. Yeah, go figure. It's it was weird. cool even back in the 90s, I guess. <laughs> Good job making Kingdom of Loathing for more than half of that time. Yeah, or yeah. the web, anyway. That's, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Are you um, the longest running game on the World Wide Web? I don't think so. Probably. I think Ru- RuneScape, RuneScape came out a few months before. <clears throat> oh, really? There was also like Adventure Quest, I think, already existed before. Uh, before is that still, did. what is that? Does that still exist? Yeah, it is. I, I know they, they recently, like, speaking of They Might Be Giants, they recently gave them a bunch of money to be able to use their likenesses in some video game project uh, that I didn't actually see. So that was... Basically, they said, oh, we're all earlier than Kingdom of Loathing. Let's team up. (laughs) They did. They they, they joined forces, pooled their money, hired They Might Be Giants to let them draw pictures of them, I guess. Sweet. There's also like a thousand versions of Adventure Quest, and I don't really understand any of them. They're Hmm. all like... Nobody knows. in, in, In some ways, like... KOL was a response to what existed and the things that I didn't like about it. And what I didn't like about Adventure Quest was that you just sort of had to do the same thing a thousand times in a row to make any progress. And it took like real time as opposed to just like, I just mess with this for a little while and then come back later. It's like Neptune's pride. Like you just suddenly have to start doing it all the time. If right. You want to yeah. Be good at it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Which is like worse than the worst free to play garbage and you don't some, like neptune's in pride some ways, kind of sort of it's i okay i i like neptune's pride but i wish that there was a version of neptune's pride that i don't you know like that you, can, you can base well no they make they make that they make turn-based and if everybody the, the neptune's pride too right like has this yeah. setting where if everybody yeah, yeah, agrees yeah. to it it can uh-huh. just do the like single turn a day or whatever and that's yeah. fine although when when we started talking about like ah oh, this would be great this is what we said we would like this is what we said would make us play neptune's pride again but like then we were like, ah, we also kind of ended up all hating each other after the last Neptune's Pride game, so maybe we don't. Actually <laughs> right? Maybe want you just that. don't want any Neptune's Pride. But I, I feel like that. I don't know that I necessarily believe this, but I would have a hard time arguing with someone who did that. That design is kind of irresponsible with people's time. Mm-hmm. You know, you mean the, the real time version? Yeah, yeah. Like the game, the game rewards a, yeah. a kind of an unhealthy level of commitment to it, and yeah. one that is not. I will say that you're right, but I will say that because it's not because that design is not born out of malicious intent or kind of or kind of greed. Yeah, um, you're right. It is. It it can be destructive to your life if you let it. But and and some people are more susceptible to that, right? Like Nick Brecken was particularly susceptible to that because he just has a competitive nature. But uh, but I will say that I think almost anyone who has played who's gotten really into a Neptune's pride game would say it was a really fascinating experience. Like I'm definitely really glad I played several games of Neptune's pride um, because I'm never going to feel weird, specific kind of reactions and like um, way decisions in that, in the way that I did when I was playing that game in any other game. Like there's just no way that was such a weird, specific feeling of actually being involved in cutthroat machinations that most games try to simulate the feeling of that, but in Neptune's Pride, it feels like you're actually doing it. Sure. At least you could say that it's a controlled environment. If you're like, I want a thing that makes me wake up at like 3 a.m., I want to put, <laughs> put myself through 
a realistic situation where right. I actually find myself like, yeah, like what's like, it like to be flop sweat? Like, what's it like <laughs> to be a world leader during the Cold War? It probably feels like this kind of. But at least you know it's over in a week. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, I I, I feel like it's not, it, it, you know, well, like you said, I don't think it comes out of any like desire to to waste people's time or to treat yeah. people disrespectfully. No, I understand what you're saying. It's just like. I, th- I think there is a there is a better version of it that has all of the good things about it. Yeah, not well, that I w- one particular bad. And thing. And I would really it. like to try. I should try the turn based version because I haven't. Yeah. Um, I would be very interested. The turn based version, I'm sure, that's gotta just. I mean, it guarant- It's guaranteed that it equals the playing field as far as your potential mechanical input. Like you just once a day, everyone makes a move. But there's something. I, I mean, know. I guess I guess it is. I, there's a little less. There's a little less excitement to it on mm-hmm. some level but like you have to just know that you are going to ruin your life you have to know that by signing up for this you're effectively signing up for Even in, the physi- real, in the real the real, real sure. difference right you're effectively signing up for a physical activity because your body is actually racked by <laughs> right. it, where yeah. you're like someone could be up at two in the morning fucking me right now and the comfort of that going away is good but i don't know if that would mean yeah that, that would mean that the risk would feel less i mean the turn-based version is something that you could keep playing all the time, right? Like you could just keep playing Neptune's Pride. The, the it could the just become version. what Spelunky is for yeah, me exactly, now. Right? Every like, day, I'm going to spend between fifteen and forty-five minutes on this, and it wouldn't kill you yeah. to keep doing that for a year. Whereas right. playing the real time, like seriously playing the real time version of Neptune's Pride for a year, would kill you. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, you'd be dead. I never got so into Neptune's or you'd Pride. become just really disconnected from it. So. Yeah, I, oh, I, I never got into that game enough that it was ruining my life. But I liked the experience of being inside a game that I knew had such wide variance of what was going on like I, it gave me a taste of what i imagined something like eve online is potentially like if you get in deep but right. i didn't yeah, have yeah, to do yeah. anything i just had to join a game of Neptune's pride and then play a couple times in the day not wake up in the middle of the night or whatever just like check it every now and then and go holy crap there's a crazy living world of all yeah, of my friends yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh murdering each other and being sad whereas i'm just writing hilarious letters in character but that yeah for that to exist Multiple friendships had to be destroyed. Uh, multiple <laughs> work days had to be yeah. sacrificed to waking up at three, four, five, and six in the morning to yeah. make sure that just you're not by you in the right place. Just not by me. So I, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're not if you're not concerned with actually being competitive, I mean, I, well, and I, if I, was, I, was, I just wanted yeah. to be inside of. The I was in the. Yet. I was in between the two. Like I, when I was awake, I would get really obsessive about like checking up on my fleets right. all the time to make sure someone didn't just launch a quick response and then I'm going to out yeah, juke them. I, but when I, but I never woke. I never set an alarm for the middle of the night or right. anything. I don't think anyway. I don't remember doing that. I mean, I I'm, played it. My goal was just to try to be, to still exist at the end of the game. Uh-huh. And, you know, well, to I'm, exist at the end of the game, it means you win. Well, no, not because you eventually, the game ends. No, at, the game, I think the game only ends when someone actually, well, someone has to have controlled a majority, I think, of the stars. Or is it all the stars? Okay, I don't yeah, know. so there can, be, there can be a bunch of people with like little So you can have a few little things empires. left and goes, yeah. woo, at the end. I mean, there's always like, there's also always like the person that, that just starts and then doesn't ever play again. So they end up with right. this huge fortified yeah, home that, world yeah, at the end. There is, just, a, there is always that person, yeah. Yeah. Neptune's pride. Yeah. See, and we thought we didn't have any video games to talk about. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about... Wait, real quick before you continue, it's probably also worth mentioning, out, mentioning Zach, that you, uh, in addition to being one of the developers of Kingdom of Loathing, you also do your own podcast. Yeah, Video Games Hot Dog. Yeah. Is that how you, is that how you accept that? Video Games Hot Dog. Uh, yeah, I always I say think Video so. Games Hot Dog. Uh, well, see, the hot dog is, the hot dog is really like just a, a suffix for it because it, it was born of 
we we wanted to know what to call our video games pod, our video games podcast after we had already done Advice Hot Dog for a long time. Wait, Advice Hot Dog came first? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But why was Advice Hot Dog called Advice Hot Dog? Ah, because Roy likes hot dogs. Okay. <laughs> and so, I mean, we were trying to figure out what to name our uh, video games podcast. Dogs, and we're like, well, up. I like hot dogs. Yeah, so then let's just make it a network. The Hot Dog Network. Wait, so what is Family Hot Dog? Family Hot Dog was a short-lived... Uh, Short live, short live. You only accent things yeah. wrong. I, yeah, I, yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah. Video games, uh, hot dog. Was I short live? <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, I was. I was uh, Josh. That one of the the other guy that was sort of there at the beginning of, of Kingdom of Loathing uh, did, did a few did a few episodes. There were more. I people went to and it and it looked jobs. like it was just a weird like travel log. Like you know, it looked it looked like it might be a website that you get when you type in the wrong URL, and it's like. Here are some hotels on the internet that you might want. And it's I like, think, what am I, what is this? I think this? actually that domain did expire because so it wasn't, I, I didn't set that one up. So they were just, uh, just okay, so like, oh, maybe okay. that is not your content. Yeah, then. it probably is. It probably is just a domain okay, squatter we, we, at this we, point. We, we, we're, we're like, I guess maybe one of the KOL guys did like a travel log and called it a family <laughs> yeah, hot dog. No, that's domain squatter hot dog. Uh, our <laughs> other podcast about search engine optimization. Man, we're going down the, oh, that's the actually, weird rabbit hole. That's, that's this family episode. squat dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. What do you guys want to actually talk about? I was going to start talking about family squat dog, which is uh, uh, like a city military enforcement <laughs> podcast. The canine, uh, the yeah. canine unit. Canine <laughs> swat dog. Canine first response. <laughs> yeah. It's actually just like uh, all helmet mic transcriptions on canine police officers and also the dogs. One's in the right channel, one's in the left. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of... Uh, with like low-key ambient music in the background. Speaking of separation of uh, of left and right, remember that Oculus Rift chicken game that we saw? <laughs> was that your attempt at an aggressive Oculus segue? It was. It was an aggressive segue. Chicken no, game? I don't remember seriously. the chicken game. It was only in the video. Yeah, okay. it was only in the video. They showed, they showed this Wait, so chicken game. Wait, should we set the scene for this? On the Oculus. Let us, let us, let do, us pay you a picture. Do it. Do it. Set the scene. Uh, how many weeks ago was that? Two? Something. Two or three? It was about a week and a half ago. Jake and, uh, and Sean and I um, gave a kind of pseudo talk at an event called the Gaming Insiders Summit, which was uh, here in San Francisco, which was... Um, a, uh, a lot of um, it, was a, it had a lot to do with like mobile and free to play, but also had people f- like Genova Chen was there and like yeah, John we got to see Genova and, like, Chen do a talk. Yeah, a bunch. Uh, oh, we met Julian Gollop who created XCOM, which was super awesome. Oh, that was that was awesome. That was like amazing. That guy's really cool. Um, anyway, uh, Ken Levine did like a keynote. Yeah, yeah, Ken Levine there. was there. Um, a bunch of people and the, oh, John Rigatello was there and he performed the Ballad of John Rigatello, <laughs> which was a surprise. <laughs> Actually, he talked about like free to play stuff, yeah, yeah. but whatever. Um, uh, but also the, in the kind of just lounge area, uh, both in the virtual like, lounge, yes. as it, apparently, uh, two components of the future of games were present. Um, the Oculus Rift and the cast AR, which is the alternative kind of virtual reality slash augmented reality headset yeah. that is being created by Jerry Ellsworth, formerly of Valve and Rick, someone also, yeah, who we got to meet, but we should talk about the chicken game first because, uh, is it the, was it the president or CEO or something of Oculus gave a talk to open up the right yeah 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 to C- open up C- the conference yeah and one of the, he was talking about there was just a video of a bunch of different Oculus games and a bunch of different like people wearing the Oculus it was a slightly terrifying games. talk but the standout was definitely Chicken Simulator 
the, I, the the best talking point in that speech was the we we have almost gotten this to the point where most people don't get sick when they put the thing on. This <laughs> right, is just oh, like, right. this yeah, is yeah. a selling point. It's like we are almost we are almost able to provide you an experience other than nausea. He sounded incredibly confident that most people yeah, would did. not would not yeah. like buke it up when uh, when wearing the future. I mean, there's <laughs> I mean, there's people who can't play any FPS on a computer because right. they get yeah. motion sickness, right? So I feel like that's imagine your entire life was a first person shooter. <laughs> We're going to replace reality with this nauseating... <laughs> with the thing that makes you barf when it's on a 12-inch CRT. <laughs> Imagine that the size of an IMAX screen. But the, All like, the time. All the future. <laughs> the the hook of the chicken game was this crazy, like... Like felt chicken beak that was on the actual Oculus headset. It was so, not that. It was, <laughs> it was not only that. It was someone... They had the Oculus Rift on and there was a beak... And then also what looked like two chicken googly eyes. What? I don't remember this at all. You maybe you were asleep during this. <laughs> and then they showed what the guy inside the the chicken rift uh, was experiencing, and it was just running around a farm uh, eating seeds <laughs> off the ground. It was a cool finally. Farm. Whatever that was. Am I right? The most that was actually the most appealing thing in the entire world because <laughs> it was just like use the Oculus Rift to do the most ridiculous thing. Have a like perspective-driven immersive experience that is actually simulating a thing that exists, but you would never be able to experience it for yourself. Yeah. But I don't think it's really... This was the the, the meat of my segue there was... The meat of it was segue. The meat of my segue. Oh, right! Oh, man. Was the, the way to accurately simulate the experience of being a chicken, your eyes would have to be pointing in different directions because they totally are. <laughs> God, that, that would be the most amazing thing ever, though. If the, if the two's... If the oh, gross. separated cameras, actually, they just, <laughs> just rotated different 30 degrees <laughs> off to the right. All right, so you right. just had this, like, the wall-eyed oh, chicken oh, no. vision. Guys, we figured amazing. out how to make 100% of Oculus Rift users sick. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really close to having most people not be sick unless they play the chicken game. In which, which case, ninety-seven percent of them only chickens who use the Oculus. Actually, chickens will chickens also get, be sick yeah, because their division diverges. They can't even see because their eyes would require. They get a only peripheral rift. vision of the weird bifurcated God, chicken imagine, rift. Imagine though the experience if they made the chicken rift for chickens that then showed them looking forward so they could actually see <laughs> oh, what it's like to be a right. person. Yeah, they would probably die. Mm. I don't they know would, if their brains would, would know what to do with it. Yeah, I don't think that they would. Chickens would barf. Chickens are Chickens probably have some weird stomach cloaca. that doesn't work the same Let's way. Just, that's, that's what would that's happen. Probably what a chicken happen. cloaca would emit. Don't say that sentence ever again. I won't. <laughs> but so yeah, yeah, chicken game seemed like it would probably be pretty cool. I'm a sucker for a game with a cool farm. I think a cool a cool farm is sufficient to make me like a game in general. Wait, so what other games do you like? Like, uh, like say, the board game Agricola. Cool, oh, yeah, did cool you call it cool game. farm? Yeah, game? it's a cool farm game. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't. I mean, I yes, I called it that. Uh, harvest, <laughs> harvest, harvest moon, harvest so moon, classic pretty farming cool game, cool farm game. Uh-huh. Although it's got all that find a wife in town and stuff. But yeah, whatever. You ever played the Anno games? You can create farms and Ooh. shit. Yeah. Can you? Can you? I mean, it's not the. It's can not you, the. Not really. No. It's can not you dungeon really. keeper style possess an no, individual chicken? Not really. No. It's not really the subject of the game. It's their economic management city builders, but they, you know, they can include agricultural elements. I. Uh, I got a sense of something from hearing you guys talk about this before. Did you play Sim some... Farm? I did not. Sim City's country cousin was its slogan, I believe, <laughs> from 1993 or, or so. Mm. Wow, that was an game. early Sim game. I tried and was or early Sim, Street early or Sim Farm. Spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tractor driving game. Yeah. It's Sorry, actually I think a game where a you. truck slowly decomposes that you can choose to fix. Is there some weird thing about the Anno games where all of the numbers have to add up yes. to a certain value? They, they all add up to, um, I think, nine. 
Wait, let me think about this. Anno 1404. Yeah, they all add up to nine. Every Anno game, all the digits in the year add up to nine. So they're run, they're actually running out of years. So we we postulated on uh, on um, an earlier Idle Thumbs that they would eventually have to do Anno 2007, okay. which would I would just I would love it. It would be the best. That'd be, that'd be so good. Yeah. It's an Anno game where you're simulating a sort of resurgence after the tech crash. I wonder what farms were. But on the eve of the global financial crisis. Right. I don't know what that means exactly. In the God- That's game the box copy, though, for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway. You're just being Greece getting fucked. That's true. That's a good game. Play that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2007. So did you guys both play the uh, Oculus and the Castar? Castar? Yes. I'm pretty Although sure it's called the, the Castar. I think it's the, the Castar. The Castar, the game wasn't Oh, by really the way, the Castar, Castar has a Kickstarter that I think is still going on right now. You mean the Castar? The Castar, in case you want to support that. Anyway. I, was, uh, I, I, I left that thing saying, I am totally going to give them some money, and then I kind of forgot to give them any money. Well, here's your chance. I think they're okay, though. I've just reminded you. Okay. Wait, which one? Oculus or Castar? Castar. Yeah. Oculus doesn't need my money. No, that's true. Uh, Castar, the, the game, I mean, you recognize that it was just some, like, Unity demo. It was just the Angry Bots demo. It was demo, the actual is, demo that comes with Unity. That's the stock game that comes yeah. with Unity. That's the Learn Unity sample project. Yeah. The cast AR, I feel like, is closer to like holography than it is VR, which yeah, they, is way it's, more it's, exciting. Yeah, to me. They, they 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 talk about augmented reality more than virtual reality. That well, seems like the thing they're in more. Their name, right? It's true. Yeah, cast AR. The star stands for <laughs> cast augmented reality, but they pronounce it weird. So it's <laughs> to obfuscate that. They're definitely more excited about that stuff, which I think is cool. Because I'm always very skeptical of like well, yeah, they, I mean, super virtual reality, like all surrounding your brain things. I guess it's worth describing this thing because people probably don't know exactly what it is. Oh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, I think. But it's, it's I, my understanding of how it works is that like it's it's got two projectors that yeah. sit right above your eyes. Yeah, there's two that, tiny tiny projectors that then project pol- a polarized signal onto this weird surface, a, ref- a super reflective surface. But it's but it's only reflective in one direction, it right? Like it only reflects, yeah, it reflects it back, at the, back. back at the it glasses refle- and you see yeah. it. You, it, it right. reflects so, light to its source so two people so can, two people can look at it and see different things. Yeah, right. It, 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 everything looks different angles of, on the same scene potentially. Everything looks kind of ghosty. Uh, it looks like Star. It looks like chess from Star Wars. It yeah. looks like Star Wars chess. I suspect chess. that if you played it in an actual dark room and not in the room in like an expo hall it would probably look better than it does but yeah well, they also they said they're also working on like stronger but also that after a certain like you'd reach some critical mass of how many people could look at it without the yeah light, I without the light would eventually saturate yeah, yeah yeah i think they said like they could four or five or so is like about i think they said is what they're but i mean yeah that's just full-on like you could just play that hologram chess game from yeah well which i'm cool. sure somebody there's a well, wiki somewhere with the rules well, to that game, you, so you can read yeah, it. yeah and one of the things you can get through their kickstarter is um they, they had those they had these at the event too little tiny little discs with rfid chips in them that track like a game piece or whatever on the table so that you can display like stats above the character that will actually be projected. I, I mean, if you're looking through the glasses, like that character's do, stats will be projected above the you character. You could do completely crazy stuff with that too, because you could play like I mean, it's clearly designed like or that implementation is designed for just super dorky tabletop stuff. But you could go completely nuts with it because like you could do like a weird Lovecraftian underground adventure thing. But you've got your little guy, and then you could do 
if if your game board was basically running in Unity or something, you could do the like crazy Indiana Jones shit where the world just collapses around. Yeah, and you've yeah, got a totally. little guy left uh-huh. on a three D pillar that looks like it right. has depth. It's really yeah, weird. You could start doing like uh, like Eternal Darkness style sanity effects to like one guy. Like, <laughs> oh man! That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. Yeah, you could you could also just you could give. The powers that different people have, like if someone has the ability to see things that others can't see, you can actually yeah, just show them. Like yeah, you can actually do they would pro- just literally be seeing but it. But the the Angry Bots demo was not the strongest demo of the game because it did kind of just look like I'm watching a 3D movie a, of, yeah. of my video game, except that the head tracking stuff was still active. Like when I finally crouched down and then realized, like, because it was running on like a Gears of War style camera, I think, where it was like third person over the shoulder, like it was cool in 3D, but then realizing that you could just like look down at the bottom of the screen and then the camera like followed that actually like followed a perspective down adjusted and, you and everything the level. Yeah. so instead yeah. of like you could go yeah. from the Mario 64 camera to the and Gears there, of War camera there was camera like a big like, like eye bar kind of in the middle and you could kind of peek over that and stuff oh, like yeah. that oh yeah that was, you like bend down and look yeah that was the craziest a, thing because it portal it, out into space oh yeah well there was no there was no ceiling on the level like it was it was uh, I guess it looked kind of like a 3D version of Smash TV or something like or you know just yeah. a top down game yeah, yeah yeah the surface that we were playing on was also like the back wall and the tabletop right. kind of kind but, of wrap around but then the the Jerry Ellsworth uh, Ellsworth was like hey check this out like right when I was about to take them off she was like first look over here and I looked towards her and she was holding up another sheet of yeah. that stuff it's like oh whoa now I'm just seeing a totally different direction well, yeah, yeah that was this scene like when I did the thing that I don't actually do when I play a game or I occasionally subconsciously do. Where the camera is obscuring something that I want to see, and I lean up slightly to look over it, which <laughs> right. is the dumbest shit in the world. Except in this, with those actually, glasses yeah. on, I was like, because my guy was covered by a foreground wall, and I just leaned my head up, and then I looked over the wall, and I didn't think about it for like yeah. a minute, and then and I looked down and looked up, and I was like, oh wait. That was real right then. That, the game just did what my brain <laughs> yeah. asked for it to do. Like it you can also just look off to the left and like, oh, now I'm moving my dude around and I can hear him shooting, but you just can't but see him. But you're just looking at, yeah. at another yeah. part of the level. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was super cool. The idea of... I agree with you, though, that that wasn't the greatest demo because it, that was more about, like, play a video game in virtual reality. But, like, it seems like the actual strength of their technology is to integrate elements from the real, real world and uh, yep. kind of... Stuff you're generating. Being able to have a shared experience where everyone is looking at what is just a piece of paper, but is actually a completely crazy dynamic depth-based game yeah. board would be wild. I mean, obviously the playing surface has to exist on a fixed depth plane. Uh, I don't precisely understand the point of the RFID stuff. Right? So that's that that like so, so that if you're playing, inter- and the things can interact with each other. Well, it's just well, no, if you're playing the board because the board itself has a grid on yeah. it. Yeah. Well, but why couldn't it? Why couldn't you do that with just the QR code thing, like how the Vitas and the, or the 3DS's AR? Works? I think it's so like, that you what? can actually place a 3D. Yeah, so you can reach figurine. out and like move the figurine yeah. and it'll okay. feed so that back if you into have the game. Like a piece, like you could make, you know, a sculpted model. That okay, is your yeah, right, so I guess it wouldn't have to look like a QR code. No, because no, 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 it's underneath the bottom. That just yeah. could be the base on a real piece, so you could say, "This is my guy." Like if you're playing. Uh, like a crazy version of Mansions of Madness or Betrayal at House on the Hill or one of those sort of like Lovecraftian-esque sure. board games or like uh, you could play, I don't know, there's a lot of there's a lot of games that are like that, a lot of that are sort of like halfway between uh, a role-playing game and a tabletop. Like Arkham Horror. Based thing. Sort of. Yeah, or, also, I mean, or people, even like the, the, the Dungeons run, and Dragons board games. People run D&D board campaigns that just have, with a visual element like that. Yeah. But being able to have a piece that you can set down because if you had the world of that game built in 3D, you'd be looking through the cast AR out of the board, and you would see your figurine 
inside of a space that exists as a real. But it would like, and it would it would actually be casting spells, right? Well, because the the, yeah. the, the, flame the, and stuff, the like perspective of, your, of your eyes of your of your figurine would match the camera inside the cast AR, so it would just look like your guy is stuck inside of the world, which would be sick. I mean, you could like a game of fucking Clue or Kill Doctor Lucky would be awesome yeah. with that. Like, you don't even need to. Just have it, it doesn't need to even be like a, a high 3D concept. Three D version of the mansion from Clue would, in and of itself, be hilarious. It was weird the the distinction between the Oculus booth and the Cast AR like folding table. I know, yeah, <laughs> right. Like, like Oculus had this like big display with couches and like a fucking magma lord in the demo. And the thing itself looked really like the the, <laughs> the Oculus Rift itself looked really nice. Like it looked like a closer to a consumer grade. Well, I think that's also those guys are just, They're also two years ahead of sure, the Cast yeah. AR guys. No, but I mean, cast, like the Cast AR thing was so much more exciting because. It was like, all right, now be careful. The cast that, thing be careful that these like Miranda solder wear and honey, don't break when we're putting this yeah. on your head. Like yeah. Ghostbusters, yeah. yeah, like don't take yeah. this off too fast, or yeah. you will break it. Yeah, it's it looks like also, it just... it's actually it's not even like a company; it's two people. It's like Jerry; yeah. she does all the hardware stuff, and Rick does he does all the software stuff, and it's just those two people doing everything. Like it's like super DIY, but it's awesome. And I mean, you know, at the Kickstarter, obviously they're hoping to step it up and do a more polished thing. But like, yeah, I totally agree with you. It was really awesome to just basically see these two people's like garage project it it's was actually really amazing cool using it how just comfortable their prototype felt i mean like i we i think all of us used an oculus rift at yeah. this thing and it was i think the first time all of us used it and yeah. it was interesting I, I used one before but yeah okay it was it was interesting to me like i actually enjoyed the experience of it but i don't think that i would be able to do it for a huge amount of time at least not with the exact thing of what's going on there whereas the cast yeah. they are i it was. I mean, it's obviously dorky to wear glasses with two projectors affixed to the top of it. It's a little less dorky than wearing. But I can also like <laughs> it was, Oculus it was comfortable enough to wear. Like the way their hardware works, it's it was super 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 lightweight. And, yeah, and you can wear you it over, see out of it with your regular eyes, and you could wear it over regular glasses. Like the the Oculus Rift I found was just like crushing my right. eyes with my glasses. Like, and yeah, like I, I could have like playing. I could imagine actually having an evening of really weird weird but fun time with my friends. Around a table with the cast AR in a way that the Oculus Rift, yeah. the Oculus Rift is like: Are you a PC gamer who likes immerse, immersing yourself in immersing. a fucking immersing with uh, video games, hot dog? <laughs> immersing um, in a cyber world. It the was cool. That, the thing that strikes me as as the kind of unappealing fundamental part of the Oculus Rift is like: I don't want to. I don't want to commit to like not knowing when somebody walks into the room while yeah. right. playing a video game. Oh, I totally agree. Right, and that's that's it's just a weird thing. Well, it's just it's it's yeah, it's fully built around the same attitudes that seem like they have sort of surrounded PC gaming for thirty years, which is you are in a dark room with the door closed and possibly locked, and you're not expecting anyone to talk to yeah. you for six hours. That was and this something. Just, this it, it enforces it. That was something that I found really bizarre about the Oculus guy's um, uh, address, like his little topic, is that he was like, no, Google Glass is like super dorky because you're walking around and people are like, look at that guy wearing those dorky glasses. But when you're Oculus Rift, like, who cares? You don't know what, you can't even see people. So who cares what they think about you? (laughs) You're just in your own world. You're in a virtual environment. You don't have to care about reality when you're inside the yeah, yeah. It, it replaces, it replaces real, like reality, reality replacement. Like that's, it's an immersive escape from everything. You don't need to worry about how you look because you can't see anybody. Yeah, I guess yeah. people are making fun of you and you don't know it. Yeah, which make. I mean, I guess probably like probably most of my life. <laughs> right, which I mean, there's you know, there's definitely something to be said for that, but also 
it kind of was grossed me out a little bit to hear him put it that way. I still think as a piece of technology, it's super interesting. Oh, yeah, and it also, is. Like, it's really interesting. We, I guess I'm just more interested in the things people can do with Oculus that are unintuitive, I guess, as opposed to just like you're in a fucking sick fantasy world. Well, that's why all the weird simulations were way more interesting to me. Like, even that goofy chicken game, for all of its goofy shit... At least it's someone doing like a crazy thing, or yeah. like that, yeah. or like the. It's like what's a thing that you could only? I mean, it's like, the skydiving demo it. with the crazy, uh, with the like office fan they blow up on your body, like those weird, <laughs> right. brief flashes of just a crazy simulation. I feel like that makes more sense than like I'm going to strap in and I'm not leaving Skyrim for two days. Right, like that is a little bit scary to me. The actual Oculus demo was. Was fantastic. It was. It, you you walked you walked through a cave, um, and then the, you. I thought you were a, outside first, and it was. Oh snowing. no! Yeah, you are outside. You're outside and it's like, like a look snow up. swept winter world. Look up. Yeah. Ah, see how it's snowing on you. So immersive. That's what the person said into your ear while you were. <laughs> that happened. That's part of the like Oculus API. Is you can feed. You can. You know, called uh, like wave files that then kind of <laughs> softly uh, suggest things into your ear. Look up. You can, you can see it's snowing on you. Yeah, I don't think it's so that, immersive. It's weird. You feel like there's a guy saying that, but I watched you have the demo. That guy was, oh, there was nobody talking there? to someone else oh, about. Yeah, uh, he definitely didn't say anything about into your ear. So. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. interesting that you've perceived that to be <laughs> happening. I, I could have sworn he like touched my shoulder when the demo was over. Then I took the glasses off. There was no one there. There was no one there. Yeah, no, it was weird. <laughs> Uh, th- so then you walked, you walked through a, you walked through a door. Oh, you go from the ice level to the lava level. Yeah, well, Let's you go comes. through, you go through like a cathedral door, but then the inside of the cathedral is like a lava cave, and then there's a magma lord. Well, there's definitely a magma lord present. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was <laughs> so good. He, he, he says, you'll know you're done when the guy stands up. <laughs> right. <laughs> the guy just, the magma lord just stands yeah, up. It's weird. It was I, like, I, I appreciate up. the choices of that demo. I mean, they went from... Really detailed snow where there's snowflakes going. Because then you're inside a cathedral, which means that it's an opportunity for dusty light beams that you can walk past. And then at the back of the cathedral, a volcano has erupted. So they have the perfect opportunity to have, like, movie, like, superhero movie poster, like, sparks and ash flying everywhere. And then you have to be awed by the height of the lava lord because you have to look up at him when he stands up from his throne. (laughs) I felt like there was – and this is the thing that I've I've not, like, worried about. I'm not, like, up at night thinking, oh, fuck, how's this going to work with the Oculus? How's that lava lord? (laughs) What if if he collides with me? How did he handle that? (laughs) Knowing, like, your facing, like, the thing that you are looking at being divorced from your avatar's facing – is weird because what direction is this going to go when I move the stick forward? And I found that'll probably differ from game to game. Yeah, but I, I mean, I feel like they n- somebody needs to land on the right way. Yeah, because the way that, in that demo, the way that just, it worked is you're just going. Ooh. Yeah, no, because it's like oh god, how do I? You're looking I, up in space, then you move the right stick, and then it's like you're looking up in space, yeah. and then someone just pivot your body on a lazy yeah. Susan that you didn't know you were standing right. on. I remember actually one of the one of the developer I don't know the developer or not, but one of the Oculus people was like, don't look up and down very much. Yeah. Because they're like, that's not what this is about. Like it was interesting. Like, he was saying like don't look up and down when you're turning is what he told right. me specifically. Yeah. Like okay, if yeah. you're if you get off angle and like have weird like Z tilt where your face is looking weird and then you spin it, just like hmm. it it is basically like you're on one of those like playground merry-go-rounds, like the tiny little like four poles on a metal thing. But you're just being held there by someone who's spinning it as fast as they possibly can, and you're doing nothing but looking at the ground. <laughs> it's gross. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a lot of dumb stuff that you can do in a first-person shooter that if you actually had that completely dominating your field of vision, it would be super gross. Yeah. Running right up against a wall. 
Yeah, but you, you just the, don't, you don't notice it with a mouse because it's so quick to just spin your entire body around and look at something that makes you like. Uh, yeah, it's going to be. And it's also like having a blurry thing in front of you on a monitor is less obtrusive than just like God, everything yeah, mouse, is blurry. Mouse control. Have you guys you have, have any of you guys played this with mouse and keyboard controls? Because I know that I know, seems like that would be crazy. I know when Valve put out the uh, Team Fortress Oculus like sort of hacky thing. It came with four or five different ways for all the different controls to work. Where it's like mouse. Oh, can, right. It's like yeah, mouse yeah, can yeah. only turn you, but your head can move you. Or like mouse has free mouse look, and then you can right. also look on top of that. And like right. yeah, they yeah. had all sorts of different. Where like your head actually is what turns you. Like they did. They they did a million different <clears throat> things because I don't think they ever. They didn't hone in on anything. Right. They thought was yeah. the, the like. The so when it comes when it comes to that kind of stuff, you're probably right, Zach. There probably will be. An agreed upon, just sort of naturally agreed upon solution. Yeah, but if I think you, that you play a bunch of like nineties, like nineties FPSs. Oh yeah, they were all over the yeah, place. Like, yeah, like yeah, just yeah. a million different page things up, page tried, down to look up and yeah, down. Bar. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I wish I really would like to play Ultima Underworld because I think that there are some things to learn from that probably, and that is probably really cool. But I just can't. God, Stand sorry, this controls. is not there's actually not like related to any of this. But the way there's like a Z Doom that has mm, maybe there is. Maybe someone's modded it that gives you all your your favorite commands. This is this is changing subject frequently, but just because you mentioned Ultima Underworld, um, it's interesting to, for me to observe that there seems to be like definitely Minecraft started this, but it has become something that is not Minecraft like anymore. There's like a genre of games now that is kind of first person deliberately very low texture resolution um like unfiltered it just like yeah unfiltered textures yeah. yeah exactly like eldritch. Yeah, yeah eldritch is a really good example of that and then also this game delver that um i guess has been out for a while but the art was recently redone I mean, if you download the game on steam right now uh or humble you have to opt into the steam you have to, beta yeah to if you it. opt into the steam beta to get the new art otherwise it's the old art still and the new like it just the it looks like you're playing a higher, a slightly higher resolution version of Ultima Underworld or something like that. Like there's a sort of entire category of games now of like these first person, very deliberately low texture res um, games, a lot of which have sort of roguelike elements or randomly generated elements to them. Well, it's sort um, of like the 3D equivalent of ascii graphics i guess it is yeah right i mean it's like this like what this is about is the is the systems and the arrangement of the elements rather than the presentation of the elements except except the well it is about the presentation too though it's just it's just it's tapping into a different kind of historical um tradition that is known by many fewer people and never really until now kind of entered i think the canon of Kind of classic video game Minecraft art style. Minecraft is about the systems, but you, they also at this point, and even early on, one of the things one of the things that got people to play Minecraft, I think, was that there were just these striking, huge shots well, sure. of the real world, even though they were also just made out of like sixteen by sixteen pixel sprite cubes. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just sort but, of thinking of it more more in terms of like, well, it means the focus is from else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, just what is what is this actually about? Like, like we're not like when we were having the meetings where right, we the, were designing this yeah, game, we were talking about what the right. experience. But there, but like, there are different. But there are different, um, definitely different eras and styles of low resolution three D. Right, like there's still um, you could still make a very low-res 3D game that looks super different than this. This is like everything is either a sprite or a primitive with, like, as Jake said, like no texture filtering, low-res textures. Um, but there's there's still, like, the late 90s very low-res 3D that's still super simple but looks totally different. Well, right, like, uh, Eldritch looks more like a, like a PlayStation 1 game or something. It looks like it actually evokes Minecraft but also something like PS1 Tomb Raider. 
to me. No, I um I don't think so because PS1 Tomb Raider is still 3D model characters, whereas Elder is 3D model characters. Oh, Elder, sorry, I was thinking of Delver. No, I was gonna, Delver is okay, looks yeah. more like like someone took like a Super Nintendo game and then just extrapolated it out. Oh, see, to me, it just looks like early PC first okay. person games where. Oh, where everything's a sprite. Everything's a sprite. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like with with my with the voxel and the the scale of the actual individual environmental elements in Minecraft, it it hits on this thing where it's like a person who would ne- it would never occur to them to like build a massive lava cathedral could actually do it because you can sort of imagine. All right, well, like a one by two is like about the size of a door, and then like mm-hmm. I know where the walls should be, and then you can walk around in it and see it. And so the idea of like that is so much simpler. So like Eldritch, like designing designing interconnected rooms for Eldritch seems to me like it would be so much easier than if you were actually using like sort of standard 3D graphics primitives, right? Like if you were actually having yeah. to build a real yeah. model in Maya hey, for everything as opposed to just making things out of Legos. Right, I mean, it's a right. statement that sort of the system's design and the sort of construction of this game comes first and then we're going to put art on it so that it looks yeah. nice. And that was yeah. all I meant by, by yeah. it's, and, it's and like that the actually, equivalent yeah. of, of Ant and, and that's definitely true in the case of Delver because if you look at what that game looks like, if you look up that game now, unless they've updated the website in the last few days, which they very well may have, but last time I looked it up, that game looked had its old art. It looked which like was, Minecraft, exactly. Yeah, basically. yeah, which is which was clearly like this, you know, the person who made it or the people who made it like just didn't necessarily care to go super deep into the into how things looked. But then they, I guess, hired hired an artist and just redid everything, and it's still the same general style of like very pixelated um, uh, 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 textures, but it. it looks much more art directed now well, like, I mean, it, it's a situation though where they obviously spent like a year or something inside of that like voxel based style and then i think they got the game take that <laughs> they got the game solidified enough that they decided that it was important for them to get what looks right. like a, some indie game pixel artist person to go in and do yeah. a 3d treatment but yeah i actually the, really i really like how the new art yeah, looks cool. what's really the cool. gameplay like of delver um it's it's randomly generated worlds and it's like it's an action game essentially you run around and you there's magic and you slash people of sorts and stuff. Um, it's essentially an action game in first person uh, with, you know, fantasy stuff. But it's randomly generated environments, which is interesting. Or, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting in the sense that that's been really popular recently, but mainly in 2D. Are yeah. they sort of like natural environments all on Minecraft or do they? You're like underground. It's like cave systems. Okay. Yeah. Or like not cave systems, but like underground um, Corridors and stuff. It's like it's like sub basement dungeons. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, dungeons. Is, yeah, exactly. Cool. Mm-hmm. It was <laughs> last week in the Idle Thumbs office. Nick was playing Eldritch on our PC, and then I was playing Delver on the Mac, just side by side. And it was really interesting to see both of them at the same time as very like fairly could, different could, executions. The, the mechanical of, separation was apparent after you watched it for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah. Well, and the and they they are both also slightly different executions on definitely the same general yeah. graphical kind of bucket, you know, and like Eldritch has very low poly 3D models and El- and and Delver has um kind of more detailed but fully 2D sprite like a doom as enemy yeah exactly like a high res like, doom exactly monster. right yeah, yeah, except yeah. that I don't think they're camera facing so they actually they kind of exist inside of the 3D space a little bit like huh. it's 
it was weird. It was cool. It looked good. Mm-hmm. But is that like is, they, it, like, is the environment disruptable oh, yeah. the way that it sort of is in Eldritch, or is it just? Um, I don't. Not that I saw. Maybe event. Maybe you get things that do that later, but I didn't perceive that to be the case. The way that Eldritch lets you interact with the environment is is kind of strange. Like the dynamite being such. I don't know how much you guys have played it, but the, your ability to interact with the environment mm-hmm. to actually change it is is limited to I think just two ways of dealing with it there's one like sort of amulet that you can have on that lets your bullets destroy bricks which yep. then bullets are a super limited resource mm-hmm. and then there's the dynamite which is a sort of broader, it just blows broader a hole in it, but you don't get yeah. a lot of dynamite yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it takes up a weapon slot which is a, a super I think interesting choice i like that though because i mean they think they want you to address the levels of the game on the actual terms yeah. of the levels unless you're just like I like, gotta you, blow a hole in something. When you find two dynamite, you're just like, shit. Like, I, do I carry both of these because I know they'll be super useful later and then just sneak <laughs> right. around so that I don't accidentally blow myself up yeah. trying to punch a guy? Do you want to actually explain what Eldritch is? I don't think we've actually talked about it on the cast yet. So it's like procedurally generated. Like, you start out in this weird procedurally generated library. It looks like Minecraft. Like, if you saw a screenshot of it, you it would be pretty easy to convince you that it was just yep. a Minecraft mod. Um the and enemies can, look pretty different, though. They yeah. do, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, the deeper into the game you get, the more yeah. it's clearly not Minecraft. But. And I mean, you like you punch, and you've got like a you know a twelve polygon arm that darts out super fast and, <laughs> right. and punches stuff. But you, um, it, it generates these kind of cubicle levels that are I think like a four by four by four grid like of interconnected, a weird rooms. like Lovecraftian crypt, crypt yeah. basically. And it's weird. It's not even like. It is like just explicitly straight up Lovecraftian. Like you are going into a Dagon ruin, or yep. or a, you know, and you're 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 getting killed by Shoggoths and stuff. Like, which I guess you don't have to license that because it's all it's, it's public, public, it's all public yeah. domain now. Yeah. By the way, it's a huge bummer that we basically for the rest of like our current civilization, we will never again be able to have shit like that. Like shit like Sherlock Holmes and Lovecraft and Alice in Wonderland and things that are. Like major created works that were created in relatively recent history, but are not fully locked down by one corporation. That we're never get. Well, that's never happening again. Basically, I mean, I think there are ways in which that is a bummer, but I also I find it hard to get too in a twist about it because I feel like you, you know, if 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 nothing else, it just makes it so it's like, well, I can't use Mickey Mouse for this thing, so I'll make up something new that's not Mickey Mouse. And, like, I feel like even though... Except the, the I think copy, what actually happens is people just has make... never been worse, but, like, the environment for access to making creative works and access to, like, consuming creative works has never been better. Yeah, So I suppose so. It still bums me out in the sense that it, it kind of just restricts us from having shared cultural um, kind of myths or, like, uh, or, or figures. Like, I... I don't know. I, I I don't think it's not like I again like you were saying earlier. It's not like I lose sleep about this, but it does kind of bum me out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know. Bugs Bunny, right? I mean, Bugs Bunny is basically Coyote, right? And yeah, exactly. Except it's fully owned by the Warner Brothers Corporation. But so, like you, like get, you but, can't. But, like, except, but you go back. You go back to its like. I feel like all of the all of the sort of like fundamental common progenitors of character archetypes are are older than corporations right like i don't know that i guess i could i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe there is some example like maybe maybe mickey mouse represents some like like the the thing that well mickey mouse is always the token example but i think he's also the least interesting because mickey mouse as a character inside of like 
the Disney use of him. Mickey Mouse is effectively an actor. Mickey Mouse isn't an actual specific sure. character. Like it's Mickey Mouse. This time he's a tailor. This time he's a homeowner. That's like Mickey Mouse doesn't have like a myth or stories that you tell about him that be, that end up getting divorced from their creators the way that like the Equi- Lovecraftian. Universe I guess the equivalent Holmes for me, the, you know? the equivalent would have been something like Superman, which if Superman was invented a few, or probably only a few decades earlier, um, probably would have eventually just become a Sherlock Holmes like figure. Yeah, but I mean, you, you can you can make you can write a new book that has Sherlock Holmes in it as a character, right? You could also write a new book that has something that's like Sherlock Holmes and plays into but that. But that's just sort not the way like, people's brains work, though. That's not the way that just like myths have existed inside of yeah, culture but forever. I mean, I think, I, but I think it like it's it's my Greek myth about Zeus. Sure. <laughs> I guess I, my and again, like you're, you're right that it's bullshit that that Disney just has has basically started making laws about about cultural. I don't even want to say the word property because that's just like sort of playing into their rhetoric about tradition about I mean, IP or whatever. But but yeah, but you're you're right that it is bullshit. And it is, and it is terrible. But I just, I wonder if it's actually going to do any harm. And I, and yeah, I, think I don't that, know. I mean, of I course, that's it, impossible and I think to that say, it right? Can't really, because the only thing that it stops you from doing, like, it doesn't stop you from tapping into the stuff that everybody knows about Superman, right? It just stops you from calling your dude Superman and having a red S on his chest and having him have a red cape, right? Like, and you don't need that. Like, you can use all of these tropes. You can use all of the shorthand of a particular genre, that genre being, say, Superman, right? Like, you don't have to explain, (laughs) like, why can this superhero fly? Well, it's fucking, of course he can fly as a superhero because Superman can fly. And, like, those things still exist as these cultural frameworks. I think that is totally, totally true, but I think that there is interesting power that you can give someone by letting them just say, you know what, this is Superman. The same way that, like, it's a cheesy example, but, like, the modern Sherlock Holmes British show... yeah. That has currency. That has like implications. If, the, if they were that like it's a Sherlock Holmes alike, it would yeah. not be as if powerful it were just, as them saying, you know right. what, this is actually Sherlock Holmes. Especially the elements the of tea. it. Especially the elements of it that specifically subvert probably traditionally assumed out things about Sherlock Holmes. Right? Like that's part of what makes the reinvention of Sherlock Holmes interesting. Is that they're saying this is Sherlock Holmes, capital S, capital H, but yeah. like this thing about it is subverted. In ways that are resonant but to the era, the era in which we live, bootlegging it or sure. or being or knowing someone who yeah. knows someone. And I guess yeah. getting the license. If if you take as a sort of a as a, a predicate to this that you have to be able to sell it in order for it to exist, right? Like you couldn't have made the new BBC Sherlock without a budget right, you that could, assumed that you were going to be able to release it as a commercial you product. You write your fic and make right? money. And people, back. Yeah, well, like that's you the thing. Could that's that. right, and that that is what happens in, in that. Like fan fiction is an absolutely massive thing like it's a huge force right now um but it just i'm sure this is unfair and this is more just my shitty perception than anything else but fan fiction just as a thing i just is not super attractive to me because i know that at heart it's like taking some corporate property and being like here's my version of this thing like fully owned by warner brothers or whoever that like now i'm just helping like support their this like intellectual property that they that they like i just there's something about that that is hard for me to to get past even though i know that the, the people who write the that stuff are really sin- sincere about it yeah exactly right um but i mean i guess i guess you're right that there is like the ability for like i don't know 
I don't remember if it was Stephen King or Neil Gaiman, but somebody wrote an actual like Sherlock Holmes in Lovecraft world mm-hmm. book. And like the fact that that can exist and be sold is cool, but you could write that even if you couldn't sell it. And like somebody who was sufficiently interested in it could find it, which is why, no, which I, is why I feel like even though it is bullshit, I, I don't think that it is like just fundamentally dangerous to the notion are, of culture. That's, right? I think that's it's fully true. You, although you are impossibly limited to execute anything at the scale that it would actually right. hit the mass market. To make, yeah, to make... I to think make there's... Like, although, I, don't I think there's... I mean, Fifty, Shades, make, Fifty Shades of Grey, right? It was just Twilight fanfic. But they changed all the names. Yeah, but that's all they changed, right? Like, that's... That's the, like life finds a way, right? Like your your erotic Twilight fanfic <laughs> figures out a way it to hit the market, even bestseller. if yeah, it could be right. Like yeah. Which if is, it's if it's God, now good there probably enough. needs to be there probably needs to be a like double page spread inside of Time and Newsweek that is that reclining Jeff Goldblum, uh, the reclining <laughs> Ian Malcolm holding, but he's reading Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah. and it says right. life finds a way. <laughs> yeah, mm. and I and it's and it's. I guess part of part of my discomfort, the thing is not so much like I wish people could sell their Mickey Mouse story. It's not. I guess. I mean, that, you know, that's a very specific outcome. It's more. I just, can't wait to read your Mickey Mouse story, Chris. <laughs> it's more just. I. I just. You know, the fact that we will never again live in a world in which new things can be created that don't just get locked down or like aren't like there's just there's a certain attitude towards ownership of creative work being just indefinitely in the control of some corporate entity that might be 10 degrees removed from the original thing that made it just because it's renewed ad infinitum. Like there's something about that that just puts me off that I find not, not so great, but like, whatever, I can't do anything about it. Like I'm not going to fucking kill myself. I'm just, when I start to think about like Tolkien though, like I think it's probably, I wish that they were, I think it's for the best that Tolkien is locked down. Well, I wish they weren't, I wish that his estate wasn't assholes about it. Right. Because I just wish people weren't assholes, but like, I think it's probably okay if, like... The, See, I think it would be better if that shit was all out in the public domain. I think it'd be way better. Because people are already going to make stupid shit based on it. It just happens to be the person with the most money. Uh, sure, that's true. And I, I mean, I guess I wish, I wish though, that if somebody after Tolkien's death was going to make money off of Tolkien, it was like Tolkien's Man, you, son. Man, so you'd gotten me into than... a place where I'm like, oh, I guess it's not the end of the world. Then you mentioned <laughs> Tolkien, and now I'm like, that's a perfect nah, example sure. of something that should just be in the public domain. It just but, should be. But it effectively is, right? Like, not not the specifics, not the specific names, but like the the sort of the kind of cultural core of what Tolkien is, like, it fucking is everywhere. Like, it is every modern fantasy thing that exists, right? Is yeah. is very explicitly the thing that Tolkien made. But imagine if all of those made. were called the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> exactly. So you would know. You would just know what you were getting right, right away. It was like, nice, oh, this isn't going to be anything new. This is just like, oh, this like is actually, the Lord of the Rings 44. The seventh Lord of the Rings MMO <laughs> <Right>. running concurrently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine that, like, Tolkien's kids weren't assholes, right? Like, wouldn't it be you, you could write like a human interest piece about like ah oh, check it out like this company because Tolkien went into the public domain like because they had the budget to make this big movie are making a shitload of money off of this guy's dad's work and he's in a line at a soup kitchen so he didn't write it yeah, yeah. I mean what different I mean <laughs> take that well, I've, so I've, I was reading an article about about that recently and his son Christopher Tolkien actually sounds like a pretty interesting conscientious person. 
it sounds like anyway. I'm not sure. really sure. I don't know tons about it. I'm sure there are re- readers listening to this who, who know much more about it sure. than I do. But but anyway, yeah, I don't I don't think. I think he's also incredibly upset and displeased. Yeah, that, it sounds that like any he Lord is. of the Rings stuff yeah. has ever been licensed to anyone. Yeah, so which like, would, yeah, what are you going to do? But he, I mean, he would be the I guess number one opponent consistent. of that being a public domain work. I'm sure. But I mean, if it were public domain, that wouldn't even be an issue in the first. Like if we just understood that that like, you know, 60 years later or whatever, things just become. Yeah. public domain then what it would be a mood issue with respect to everything sure. and like individual people could get upset about their dad but like i don't know whatever we can move off this we've been re- i'm sorry <laughs> for sidetracking us forever i really like that eldritch has uh basically bioshock 2 mechanics inside of it that was a neat thing bioshock to would it, in what sense in that it has or i guess like it just has i guess the language of an immersive sim inside of it i thought was really cool and that it has or a modern one i guess the like, I got far enough into it. I got into the second book, and I don't know if you... The yeah. second book was really hard, and I was sad because I was actually having to, in fact, hide from people and like yeah. lean out from behind pillars and monitor which sort of... Because it has the... the It has the very much... The, I mean, the thing that I first saw in Bioshock 2, although I'm sure Steve will tell me that it was in 500 other games that had like a little glowy gem in the UI, but... Um, Wait, you mean like the Thief Light Gem? Yes, I'm just making... I had to talk about the Thief Light Gem for a minute because <laughs> Steve was so butthurt that I didn't know about the right, Light Gem. Yeah. But, uh, so I don't know anything about anything, Steve. Um, but it has the Bioshock 2, your right hand has equipable guns okay, and yeah, your yeah. left hand has a magical right. upgrade. Right. And, and it also had the hilarious Bioshock thing where your right hand has the gun but the left mouse button operates that and then your left hand has the magical thing which your right mouse operates. But... The sort of combination of having to pick up and hot swap items also to configure sort of what weird magical world modifier was on those hands, plus enemy AI that you had to stealth around, plus it had uh, it has Q and E as lean out from behind stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I love Q and E as lean. Just going to put that out there. It was cool to see all that stuff inside of it. And also there's mantling in this game, so you can climb up yeah. ledges and stuff. It was cool. That's, and especially, like, just coming from, like, a having played, you know, however many hundred hours of Minecraft that a lot of people have played. If Minecraft had mantling, it would be yeah, a better like, game by if it, had mobi- if it had just, like, your own height mobility, right? Like, if you could just jump up, like, if it was, like, there was less just, like, I'm going to walk back and forth across the side of this stupid mountain because I want to get up here and see how far I can see. Like, if your guy could... If you had basically arms, you could climb up two high blocks, or like if you just pressed forward on one high block stuff, you would stair step automatically. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice. Whatever. Maybe but, it wouldn't be. But I mean, this Eldritch, I, I got sad about it when it kind of turned it. It was like, all right, shit, I actually have to play this as a stealth game, which. Oh, it didn't bother it, me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really like stealth. Like, Dishonored, I think, is the only stealth game that I've liked because I felt like it. it it's not it even really a stealth game. It empowered you. Well. It can I mean, be. You can play it. right. Dishonored is the only game that I've ever like actually wanted to play through as a stealth game because I feel like Dishonored empowers stealth the way that video games empower combat, mm. and I don't feel that Eldritch. Good way of putting it. I don't feel that Eldritch really does. That's that. that's totally fair. I think I'm a person. Part of the reason that I think I don't mind things like that is because I absolutely don't care that I'm shit at a game at this point. Like, I'll hide for a while, then I'll get fucked and go crazy and just spam whatever I have and try to blow up a hole in the world and stuff and then die and then go, Yeah, but with Eldritch, like, fucking up just means it's over, right? Right, then you have to go back into the library and go back and start over. Which, I mean, and it gets to the point where I think, I feel like it was like, 
uh, Anthony Birch on Twitter or something was like, just don't do the first world first. Like, go to the do the hard ones because there's no way you're going to die on the first world. And it's just going to be like constantly playing the mines in Spelunky if you have no idea how to survive in the jungle, right? Like, right. don't bother. Like, if you could do those in if you could do those in any order, you're always going to like do the hard ones first. I didn't know that that was possible. Oh, to to go into the books in yeah, different cause, order. Cause the first book is open, and the other ones you have to go. It opens closed. permanently, though. Like what? That... You just click on it to use it, and then it opens. No, oh. you you have to beat the first world oh, to right. unlock okay. the second world, but it stays open yeah, on yeah, all but then future. You can just jump. Yeah, it stays yeah. open on all future characters, and so yeah. I mean, I eventually just like bolted to the bottom of the second world to get the third one open, and it is like, it, it is it, it, it's like multiplicative difficulty. Like the second one is so much yeah. harder than the first one, and the third one is even harder than the second. Right. So, but I mean, I didn't get to that one yet. It's cool. It's a cool game. I wish there was. I kind of wish there was more. I wish there was either more stuff going on, or you could play it in like a non permadeath. Might not as the lamest complaint about <laughs> a roguelike, but like, I don't you know. It, you want it to be a baby game? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't want it to be a game for babies like me. I think because. Because it doesn't feel like, because it is a game that requires, like if Spelunky was a stealth game, you'd be like, fuck this game. Like, I, like to me, a stealth game is like, move real slow and quick load a lot. Right. Like, that uh-huh. might as well be the genre. That's not Mark of the Ninja, though. And like, well, sure. But but Mark of the Ninja doesn't make you start over at the beginning if you get killed. Right? That's true. Like, and so Eldritch, like, being being a stealth game with permadeath, where it's like, oh, well, they saw me. I guess I just lost an hour of progress because it took right. an hour to creep through this level. Yeah, sure. Like, eh. And it seems like there it seems like there are some systems that kind of facilitate combat in that. There's that one charm that you can get that's like make all your weapons do a whole bunch more damage. Yep. But like it's I don't know that the getting hit by dudes is seems kind of f- it's hard to tell. Like, I, you get a sense in Minecraft of, like, when you need to back away from a zombie to not get hit. But mm-hmm, in Eldritch, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little less, mm-hmm. like, there's not, like, a super clear connection between when the enemy plays a certain animation and when you take damage. Sure. And that sound cue is not quite... I mean, it's, like, too late. By the time you hear your dude go, uh. Also, the sounds of that game are weird. Yeah. I laughed at them for a while, then I got far enough into the game that they freaked me out. And yeah, then I it's, felt it's like creepy. a goof because at the beginning <laughs> the guy's just going, ugh. I was like, okay, that's dumb. But then it eventually <laughs> just becomes an abstract thing that means you're going to get fucked. And then I was afraid of it at the end. <laughs> but then I also stopped playing Games. it because I, I was too bad at it. I guess there's a fourth one that's even harder. And you have to go up, so gravity is even working against you. I don't want to hear about that. I'm never going to see it. <laughs> I don't think. Until <laughs> they make the baby version. Like Were you, you like Eldritch babies? Yeah, Eldritch babies. <laughs> you and all that. You and all the enemies are just real tiny. Uh, you can you can you have to mantle to get up a one block inside. Now. Inside the library, there are in fact just huge green and white stockinged feet walking around. <laughs> uh, the horrible truth is that they don't care about you, so you you go looking for help and it just stops on you. Yep. Oh, sorry, game's over before it even started. Oh, Eldritch babies. I don't know how moddable it is, but but maybe okay. someone can make Eldritch you can make it babies. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I watched that Super Smash Brothers documentary, or the first half of it. Oh, you watched the, the one that, Smash Brothers? The Smash Brothers. I watched parts one through four, I guess, or eight parts. Hmm. Have you seen this, Zach? I have not. Someone recommended this to us through Reader Mail last week, um, and I just started watching it. It's just on YouTube. Um, each episode, what, like 20, 30 minutes? Is I don't that know. I didn't oh, watch I, any of it. Oh, you haven't watched any of it. Oh, I thought you said you had. No, oh, okay. I heard about it, but I have not yet watched the Smash Maybe Brothers. Maybe it was Nick. Someone said they started watching it, and it was Oh, Nick is it was a really Smash good. Brother. That's true. Well, anyway, well, I guess it's not... 
I was I thought you had seen it, so maybe we don't want to talk about it. But no, go ahead. I would second the recommendation that. Um, what was interesting about it to you? I want to hear it. Yeah. So the, actually, there was something very specific that was interesting about it to me, which was that. The game tells the – I'm sorry. The, the documentary tells – The game tells the story <laughs> of a tournament. Jigglypuff. <laughs> Strange <laughs> aliens appear in Nintendo land and beam them away to an arena where they must do battle. Yeah. To determine the fate. God, I'm so glad the that it is. The fate of our mortal plane. <laughs> there, isn't actually, that's, there is. There's a single-player campaign. Wait, is there really? Is that what it is about? What a weird like blobby alien appears and then people have to fight each other for some reason. Wait, seriously? So it's like Mortal Kombat? Yeah, they had like one of the guys who did the story to – oh, man, I cannot remember now. It was like a notable Japanese story game guy, <laughs> oh, like, like Final Fantasy guy or something like that. came and wrote the lore for Smash Oh, Brothers video Brawl. games present that bullshit. Oh, man, I got to – I don't remember yeah. which one it is. But then uh, also a guy who did really notable music for Japanese games wrote the uh-huh. main theme for the single-player campaign for Smash right. Brothers Brawl. Yeah. <laughs> that is something a video game person would think is what you need in your – fighting in your multiplayer competitive fighting game to their credit i think they partly did it because they thought that it was funny i think they sort of have realized at this Uh point that super smash brothers is the place where every japanese video game puts its most esoteric and stupid shit so like i think they're like fuck it just lay it in because that was the one where solid snake showed up and kojima Uh designed the level for it and stuff for no reason but it's it's it, well, so that it, even it, the, yeah. So anyway. the, th- the thing you just said reminds me of another. Actually, not the thing I was going to say, but definitely another interesting thing about the docu- documentary, which is that one of one of the big early um, uh, kind of points of the documentary that they state, I think, right near the beginning of the first episode, is that Super Smash Brothers originally on N sixty four was never designed to be a game that was played at a competitive level or that was a you know particularly hardcore game in right. any way. It was a party game. With kind of battling as the theme in the same way that Mario Kart is a party game disguised as a race as a racer, and uh, you know Mario Party is just straight up a party game. I feel like um, I am just finding out now that there is any such thing as competitive Smash Brothers. Oh my god, seriously? Because... Were you not aware of that? No. Oh my, yeah, no, it's an MLG game. It's uh, yeah, it's it's legit. Well, you should watch the series then. Actually, it would be you'd be the perfect audience for this because they they you know they started off by saying. You know, this wasn't a game that they explain like the basics of the weird advanced moves that people basically discovered. Like that's one of the really interesting things about the documentary is that a lot of advanced techniques are not things that that were like written in the in the manual to the game or anything. It was just people found ways to exploit the game's systems to their advantage in ways that if you know, they would talk about the the notion of kind of very, very, very early smash tournaments where it's crazy to to hear about because there was like the East Coast kind of Smash Brothers scene and the West Coast Smash Brothers scene that had their own distinct like preferences and styles because there was no centralized competitive Smash scene and there was no online play or anything. So when these scenes when these scenes would collide at like the very earliest national tournaments was this during the N sixty four version or was this on the GameCube? No, it was the GameCube one that people started to really which coast formalized Star Fox only Final Destination only. I don't I don't know. But uh (laughs) Oh you know I guess I guess I do remember hearing like like just no like playing with no items was that what you had to do if you were playing seriously yeah. which i guess implies well, so, there okay so i player. think it was like it introduces too much i can't remember which coast but like one coast was all about no items and the other coast wasn't like there were things like that like that but one of the things i found really interesting about it was that um the early history of competitive smash is not is basically not written anywhere like after watching these this several episodes of this documentary i went online and try and looked up some of these players names and like 
you can only find stuff in passing. Like there's like a Smash Brothers uh, competitive wiki where some of these players are listed there. But that shit is like hard to tease out. Like someone – whoever made this documentary did a really amazing job of contacting the really sort of important early figures and actually just commit this oral history to tape, which is very fascinating. It's the exact – it's the total same thing. The reason it was interesting to me is because it's very similar to the way the early – StarCraft competitive scene developed, which is all the big famous players that everyone knows now in StarCraft, if you actually follow competitive StarCraft, like they're, they were kind of almost the second wave or like the f- first wave and a half of competitive StarGuild players. But there's this whole scene of like the very earliest competitive StarCraft players who set the groundwork for that stuff, who at this point largely exist almost entirely as an oral history from the players who just went to like the very earliest kind of national or international StarCraft tournaments before it was a big thing. And to learn about that stuff, you end up watching guys like Day9, I mean, Sean Plott, like just tell the story like on their on their YouTube channel or whatever, um, which guess- in ways that are – that is just not documented very, very well. Unlike then you get guys like Boxer who, you know, is like big famous – Starcraft player that everyone's heard of if you're into competitive Starcraft, but there's like these early guys who were just kind of dorks who played this game a little better than most people did and kind of started to unlock its potential as a competitive activity. And I guess it's the same in Smash and I just never, I don't just don't know any very much about competitive Smash, so I wasn't aware of any of this, but watching the documentary, they find all these people and interview them all and it's amazing. Like, it's crazy. I guess that's an interesting counterpoint to the copyright thing. Like, there is not going to be that again because now everything that has anything to do with video games is just exhaustively documented. That's, that's true. Everywhere. So there's yeah. never going to be yeah. another like. It's true. There's never going to be another like. I don't know. That's kind Star of Star Wars holiday special or whatever. But there but weren't like, forums that these guys were posting on when in like. How did these sure. matches even get arranged then? Like, how the hell did this like? Well, Usenet? I mean, it was like, online. I, I they def they found each other online. There just weren't centralized repositories where it was all yeah. like cataloged officially. As well, like it was a, like pre YouTube, right? Like so, it was definitely there wasn't even yeah. any place to. Yeah, because it, it surely started in sixty four on GameCube era, yeah. which was. Well, and it was interesting too because you already there was like one of the guys Isaiah who was an who was like an important early figure in this scene. Um, it's so funny to hear these hear people tell these stories because they're so fucking dorky, but it's great. It's the best. Um, there was this guy Ken who was like the early the sort of best player in the world, so to speak, or at least in the country uh, or North America, um, and he. It's like, yeah, I ran into this guy, like Isaiah, and I saw him playing N64 Smash, and he'd never played Melee. Is Melee the GameCube yeah. one? Yeah. And, like, I'm just like, man, you bet you'd be awesome at Melee if you tried it. And so, like, he became my partner, and we trained. And, like, it was really funny to just hear these guys talk about how they kind of ran into each other. And a lot of the early kind of really important teams were just friends who started playing together and then ended up raising each other's game just due to right. – and then they would encounter people from other – cities or states and have that issue where they're like, oh, I'm the best among my friends. I must be like the best anywhere. And some of them would find out they actually were. And then some of them in reality right. weren't. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, it's super fascinating because the whole thing's incredibly lo-fi. Uh, the documentary itself is very lo-fi, but like the thing they're discussing is also just the most underground shit ever. Like it was just well, also super the, also unofficial a, a pre, everything. A pre-online console. And I think I'm I yeah. think Smash Brothers on the Wii has online, but it's bad. Yeah, and it seems like this Also, sorry, that sentence could be truncated. The Wii has online and it's bad. <laughs> bad. <laughs> it's bad, yeah. And it also seems like the general um commonly held perspective among this crew is that the GameCube one is like the, yeah, the canonical one, competitive game. Yeah. 
no one really likes the. I mean, the Smash Brothers Brawl I think is is a more fun party game because it just has way more ostentatious right. stuff. But if you strip all that stuff out, I think it's the actual underlying core is. Less. Did they know when they made the GameCube version that there was a serious competitive scene? I don't. And did they try to balance? Th- I don't it better? think so. I don't think the serious competitive scene developed until after the GameCube yeah. one was out. I think that they knew that there were people who were playing the N sixty four one at a level above the way people play Mario Kart because some of the stuff they put into the GameCube one was stuff like more aggressive blocks being able to actually like do midair dodges and like spin out of the way of, of yeah. attacks and stuff which was absolutely not in the N64 one but I think that's the stuff that allowed there to be a true competitive scene so that you can actually yeah. counter stuff well and one of the one of the awesome things that like Jake you'd probably this would this stuff would probably be more impactful to you because you know the not. game better than I. But well, I can't even remember the names of the moves. But like, okay, but, the, but I suck at it. They, sure, but it, whatever. It's uh, not my point. <laughs> um, I, I'm just saying they talk in the documentary about people encountering crews from other places and then being just blown away by the existence of things in the game that they just literally weren't even aware of because there just wasn't like a wiki that you could go and find out right. all the moves. People were discovering things to do with the game that weren't documented and that weren't available in any kind of just easy to parse place. And so uh, they were talking about how early on in the competitive scene, even just knowing the existence of certain like undocumented features of the game, or I don't even know if they're deliberate like features or not. Weird and blocks and things that... Yeah, yeah. W- would just automatically make you better yeah, than a, someone that's else. That's a weird thing to think about. I mean, I guess it was only a few years earlier that it was like, if you if you were one of a tiny fraction of people who had internet access, you like knew all the moves for Mortal Kombat right. two. <laughs> yeah, did you guys whatever, see right? those like, tweets from the creative director of Street Fighter Two, the original that showed up recently? No, what he was uh, it was a Capcom developer who was one of the leads on Street Fighter Two was posting just a bunch of weird facts about the original release of Street Fighter Two, and it sounds very much like this. And I'm sure the early Street Fighter scene was probably similar, where because. It made me wonder, I imagine Super Smash Brothers is frame-based the way that most fighting games are, like the Capcom games that is just mm-hmm. on a certain frame right. of animation, these attributes yeah, yeah, are yeah. available or, or are not. But he was talking about things where like they never quite got the tuning right, so there are some things in that game that are totally just randomized where every other frame of an animation <laughs> oh, will have a certain thing yeah. happen. Or like right. he said there's one frame in one particular Ryu block where they had forgotten to remove attributes from a thing they were testing where blocking would mean that your like counterattacks would do very specific things so you can accidentally hit one frame in a guy's animation and <laughs> a fucking other just completely different statistical attribute yeah. is, is applied. Wow. And I'm sure that that stuff is, is gone now for sure yeah, from the way yeah, those, yeah, those yeah. Street Fighter games are made. But he just, on Twitter, he showed up on Twitter and they just God, that's amazing. I want to see that. Like, that's this, incredible. This, 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 and people are like, oh, that explains all these stupid things. Right, these about... weird, like, um, flukes. And, yeah. yeah. Man, but, that's interesting. Uh, that, I'm sure that stuff is not in the Smash Brothers because they probably don't actually talk to anyone from yeah. Sora. Uh, yeah, they don't talk but... to any developers in any of the episodes I've seen. I I imagine they probably it's don't. You know, it's HAL Laboratories. Well, it, yeah, it, wa- it was HAL Labs for years, and then now it's like Sora was the company that Masahiro Sakurai, like, started after he officially left Nintendo, but it seems like he basically, all that shit just got reabsorbed. Into he left it. and said he was going to do some consulting stuff and that he was gone, but now he's just basically yeah, smashed just back creative on director that. for yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Video games. Video games. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I like it. I like how, how DIY it is, and I just, the all that kind of super oral history stuff was really appealing to me because, well, one, I mean, you know, uh, Zach, you were saying earlier, it's 
that too is something that's borderline impossible now. Like I like the idea of just a certain group of people knowing the early history of a video game related thing just because they were there and for no other reason. <laughs> like that's the that is why they know that stuff and that's it. I mean and now it's documented in a documentary which is which which is cool because yeah, other like, people can know to it too. That end, it, but that's how that knowledge was kept for years. It was incredibly entertaining to me to talk to you about the history of how Kingdom of Loathing came to have the payment structure that it has. And no one will ever know that or care about it, but uh, it was the weirdest best. Well, I don't stuff. know that no one is that, will is ever that, care about it. So, that was really insulting. I'm sorry. People will care about it. but The sure. thing that you've poured your life sure. into for I don't a decade. Mean that, I don't mean that no one will care about it. I mean specific people will care about it for a specific reason sure. if it's ever written down. I don't think it's a thing that people will seek out unless they know about yeah, it. Yeah, it, it, it would be a hard thing to learn if you like weren't you know, a gaming insider who was right. talking to me at some sort of a gaming insider event. It, <laughs> oh, like a summit or something? Yeah, like a summit where you, where you meet. Um... But yeah, it. In a way, I, like when I was when I was in college, I procured a copy of the Nine Inch Nails Broken video, which was just like copy of copy is the only thing uh-huh. that you could get, and I don't know that it was ever even sold anywhere, right? Like right. I think it might have just been like you know like the Trent Reznor ARG that that got just just dropped out into the world but that was, was that the thumb drive left in a bathroom already no that was later that <laughs> okay. was that was much much later this this i think predated usb so okay uh, sorry this is but it was just like it was just like arg. vhs tapes right it was yeah. and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you never you never saw like i guess they might have sold it later or fuck maybe they sold it and i just didn't know about it because i didn't happen to go to that record like, store and there wasn't an internet yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like yeah yeah but it was like and it was that and like i said the star wars the Star Wars holiday special, like the fact that you can just go watch that now means that it's just this shitty garbage as opposed to, <laughs> right, as opposed to this artifact. Like, yeah, it was an yeah. artifact. It was, it was yeah. a thing that you had heard about for maybe years mm-hmm. before you ever got hold of. You know, what's funny and actually really horrible. And I hate this about myself. I really, it really bothers me. I, I find it very hard to get as excited about discovering new music yeah. Now in the digital era, as I did when I when I when somebody was making you a mixtape. Yeah, and when I had to go to like the record store, there's this great record store where I lived, Lose Records in Encinitas, California, which is like an amazing. Well, I don't know if they're still around. I hope they are. Um, but that was that place was like it sounds cheesy to say this because everyone says shit like this about everything, but like that place was basically a temple for me and my friends. We go out all the time, and having the like extra money to buy an album was like very super meaningful. Um, and we everything was like. Word of mouth and based on like whether they happen to have the thing in stock, like we, my friends and I would all have lists. We'd have lists of all the albums we had heard about and wanted to buy, like yeah. in our life. I mean, we would, and like, we would go, we'd go to lose and we'd go down the list and be like, which ones do they actually have in stock? All right, I'm gonna buy this one. And there's no, absolutely no reason why, there's no reason at all why I can't just find shit all those same ways. But for some reason, it's very difficult for me to get excited about I think the same way it was. It might be partly they were old. It's, yeah, yeah, it could, could I think, entirely I think be it's that. folly to assume that because we live in an era where things are stored digitally, things are stored indefinitely. Because there is so much stuff on That's the internet true. that is fascinating oh, yeah. that now just exists in your memory, even though at the time, like in 2003, you're like, this is on the internet, it's there forever. It is not. It's gone. Except then you're like, Maybe one guy has a yeah. copy of this on his website. <laughs> I thought that right. about this one particular like clown joke <laughs> post on Usenet, <laughs> and then I found it a couple years ago, and it's totally still there. Like it's just archived yeah, on Google right. Groups. But so so like yeah, 
What? You can't. You gotta fucking. That's not what. You got so Gustav. Just search Google Groups for Gustav the Clown. I think it was cross posted to alt.sex.stories, which is where you got all your text. All right. Porn. All right. That's it. And yeah, that's it. Now find it. It's not. It's you not about readers, sex. Too, you it's two not about readers sex. can find the story of Gustav the Clown on uh, our, Gustav. Alt, uh, Gustav the Clown on alt.sex. Or whatever it was, that stories. All that sex, that stories, yeah. and also like it was, it was a cross post from some other group that was just like joke guys that I never heard of. <laughs> but anyway, it was just this random oh. thing that we stumbled on and got passed around the dorm. And then years later, I thought of it, and I was like, oh, that's got to be gone. That's well, like Usenet from 1993, but it was actually, totally still there. It's actually could remember a it. fallout f- from the stuff we were talking about about copyright. There's so many things that appeared even in like the <clears> early days of YouTube. That are now unavailable, except some guy made an offline copy of it, but it's probably not very SEO optimized. So you probably have to actually look on a forum to find a thread from someone who then posted an old link, and then you have to find the history of that link. And at least it's it's still nothing near the idea of I finally got a hold of a VHS tape of yeah. Nine Inch Nails video, but you, there's still I guess there is. There's I also guess. you can see that in real time. Like there's the video of Jeff Goldblum playing Just a Friend with Biz Marquis on. What, Jimmy Fallon, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that video is taken down very aggressively by whatever network owns it. At some it. point, someone's just going to stop putting it up, except one guy who has it unlisted. Yeah, somewhere. every time I have to find that, I have to go way out of my way. And eventually, Steve um, like found a copy of it and just saved it. And now I have it in a Dropbox to just watch whenever I want. <laughs> so, like, but I mean, that was. It was like it's like a battle going on between just people on the internet and whoever owns that it, to be able to make that it thing does make available. Me wonder though if that. It's a reminder that you have to actually have a person who cares to maintain a copy of something. And Usenet is probably, as a collective thing, well, I don't know, actually. At some point, Google will probably just say, fuck it, and turn off Google Groups because it's not monetizable yes, yeah. for them. That's a thing Google and then does. you finding I mean, Gustav the Clown means you're going to have to hunt down a person who's maintaining right. and no, continuously no, no. I, spinning up a Usenet archive. I saved it as a text file. Okay. I, like, <laughs> if anybody wants Gustav the Clown in the future, they can come uh, to me. It's It's... <laughs> It's never going to be to the same degree. You're totally right. But I also yeah. think it's going to be like to cite the yeah. most the most heavy example of all. In 20 years, there will be fewer copies of goatsy.jpg or whatever of the right. <laughs> on hard drives yeah. in the world than there are right now. And at some point, yeah. there's probably going to be one Goatsy. So I want to clarify my the thing I was saying I about music before. I want to clarify my before. stance on Goatsy. Well, uh, <laughs> I always want to do that. But no, I want to clarify what I was saying about music before because I wasn't necessarily – I didn't – the way I feel about this is complex because I don't think it, it's better to live in a world where – like albums are more scarce and they only exist on like I don't right, I don't think that's better at all. Some I was just saying there's something like you in my in, you exist in yeah. an instance of the world of music instead of existing on like the shared MO right. server. It's entirely a thing that is hap- that is in my brain yeah. and I'm actually kind of frustrated by um that I feel that way because I don't I, again I don't think it's necessarily better and people who were born like a decade or 15 years after I was are just never going to have that false comparison, so it doesn't even matter. I mean, I it's think just a thing for me. That I think is hard they're for me still to get going past. to believe that the music that came out when they were between, you know, nineteen and twenty-five was the best music. That's, and that's a different phenomenon. That's right? a different phenomenon, right? But I think that there really are there really are differences, like fundamental differences in access to things now versus ten years ago versus twenty yeah. years ago, which was never true at any point before. Yeah. Like. Well, I mean, I guess. Well, I think more access, like, generally speaking, music, is better. I, the history of recorded music is still in a fairly short time scale, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, it's like 
I'm sure there were people saying I was better when you had to go see it live. Again, I'm not necessarily saying it's better. I'm just saying my brain was wired during the years where that was the case. And it's hard for me to get past that. I'm not saying it was better. I'm just saying I am predisposed towards it. It's probably hard to imagine the specific thing that will give a 19-year-old now the same kind of thrill that the specific thing that happened to you when you were 19. Yeah, I'm sure those things are still around. I'm sure that I'm sure I mean, I'm sure there are versions of that that those people have. It's just not what I have. Finding a thing that is specific to you and your friends that other people don't know about is probably still a thing that exists. It's just once you've found that thing, it's easier to immediately propagate it to your other friends in a way that it probably right. wasn't before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. that. Like, you, and it potentially maybe could be more esoteric than it was before because... Probably because it's all there. Yeah. <laughs> or at least more of it is there. Yeah. Yeah. There's also just so much more of it, right? Like, I mean, I guess it's going to be like there's so much more. There's a lot of music available. A lot well, of it's part of it is that. That's that was act- probably true, but at least like... There- there is just straight up more music. It's one of things actually that's going to be a challenge, I think, culturally in the midterm, maybe not the long term because maybe eventually we'll solve it. But definitely in the short to midterm, it is becoming more difficult for artists who aren't in certain kind of um, partic- like areas that are easy to like find monetizable people on the Internet. Like it, it does become harder for like writers and musicians of a lot of types to actually make any kind of livable wage because there just is much more available and what is available costs a lot less. Um, like th- there are actually challenges that relate to there being so much access and so much stuff available because natu- it just makes perfect sense. Like when supply is higher than is the, higher and higher and higher and yeah. higher, the, the demand the most, like, well, not the most likely outcome, but one potential outcome is that it will revert to an earlier state of existence where there is not, there's just, I think for a while there was an assumption that if you were able to produce an album of a certain production quality and sell it, you would make some money. Well, and that because, assumption is just right. Because even getting to the point where it's you're producing an album of quality right. I think, means I think you've already gotten that some kind will probably of potentially. There's a high likelihood that assumption I think will just get deleted from people's yeah. minds. Like, well, and people were, born today are probably not going to assume if I make a polished album that means for sure. That I have yeah. For sure. It just also, when I in the era that I was so talking about, like when I grew up, which not, not like that was long ago at all, but like we were already pissed at the music industry for totally different reasons, which is that artists get screwed with shitty deals and show it's just different kinds of ways to get screwed that exist now. But it is the case now that anyone like it's, it's fairly affordable to make a thing of higher quality than you used to be able to without getting some kind of official deal from a company. Right. Um, but it does. This, this bullshit that we're doing right yeah, now. Exactly. Um, we, yeah, exactly. It's weird in video games. Even God, you know, what's you a, were trying to talk about video games. I was wait. Speaking of video games, and speaking of the thing you just said, Jake, did you guys see the trailer for the Mega 64 Blu-ray like 10-year anniversary edition? No. When those guys started Mega 64, I don't know if you remember this, but when they started Mega 64 in 2003 or whatever, it was as a local public access show. They were doing a thing that was about video games when the internet technically – well, I mean not technically. The internet definitely already existed. But the way they were getting it out there was by getting a slot – on local public access and making a show. Like they made like a half hour, like a 30 minute actual show. Like that was how Mega 64 started. I remember watching those episodes when they finally eventually got on the internet, like, I don't know, months later. Um, That was still at the time how they perceived making a thing to be. Like, whereas now, if you were starting, now what what Mega 64 does now and what anyone would do if you're making something like Mega 64 is just upload the clips themselves to YouTube. Why would you bother doing all this other shit? Whereas the thing that 
they perceived to be necessary was like, oh, we're going to make a show. We're going to get it on yeah, TV. It and the like first a, version of that is like local access. Then who knows? It would have to be like a high concept formal exercise at this point versus just like, I want to just tell a joke on the internet. Yeah. I mean, even if they were making a the high concept version of it, they would still just put it on YouTube. Yeah. The thing that I was going to say about video games, it's weird. Like, <laughs> I I employ a couple of writers, right? Mm-hmm. And the the reason that I'm able to pay these guys to write jokes is because we have a context in which their jokes get turned into a thing that makes some money because it is a video game. Like, they would not be able to sell these jokes right. for their salary. That'd be the best. Right? And so, yeah. My, my, ten, <laughs> jokes, my ten jokes. Says man in subway station. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just busking. Like, yeah. I will write you a joke right oh, now. he'd for, be a joke busker. $40. Yeah. I'll kill myself. <laughs> Those guys probably exist in like Central Park. Yeah. yeah. And so every once in a while, they'll do like a weird, like, uh, like sort of like performance art where it's like, oh, this is actually a writer for the Simpsons that's trying right. to sell yeah, jokes yeah, yeah, in the yeah. subway station. Yeah, Nobody right, will pay for them. Yep. They, don't know, they don't know yeah, that this right. guy's jokes yeah, yeah, yeah. are worth $1,000 right. each instead right. of – but like – and I mean I feel like, you know, you – there are a lot of people like – sorry – Josh and Riff, but there are a lot of people who are better writers than you that aren't making any money because they don't have a context in which that is sort of right. like commercially viable. And I feel like with video, video games is like is a weird scene because it creates a bunch of employability for a bunch of disciplines that aren't necessarily inherently employable. Right. Something like right. game design is like only exists. The certainly center in that of context. video games might actually be that. But yeah. I mean, that's why programmers are the highest paid people in video games is because their job is a thing. Yeah, that you could go somewhere else. Everyone and, else actually yeah, needs You could go somewhere else desperately. and do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I write hilarious interactive comedy. Yep. Good. Yeah. You could maybe, I don't know. There were only like four guys that wrote all the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Yeah, you know? yeah, I know. So even, like, all... even being really good at that, like, what? Okay, yeah. whatever. Like, have have fun yeah. trying to get people to pay for a Twine game. Yeah, some people probably charge I, for a Twine I, game. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, and the also, yog. I mean, oh, the Yog is oh, awesome. Man, um, that uh, that uh, that patron, I forget what it's called. Patreon. Uh, I was just yeah, going to bring that up. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 totally. Like, that's definitely, I think, one of the models that is that is emerging and probably will continue to is peop- is the ability to support people who make works that individually are tough to charge a great a high amount of money for or in some cases even any money for but cultivating an audience that in aggregate appreciates the body of work what is and this? would like to facilitate the creator making more of those things it's pa- a website patreon it's called- it's actually distributed patronage in the way that you sort of hoped that kickstarter was going to be but then kickstarter kind of turned into like you know well, Kickstarter's always been is. the thing that it declared it is, which sure. is proj- one project, right. you fund one project. Yeah. But I mean, I guess what, I hoped, thing what I hoped that Kickstarter would do would be to usher in a new age of distributed patronage where it like, would suddenly be like... Kickstarter patrons. There's a few of those, but it's, yeah, it's, it's sure. like guys like Steven Dingler but and Patre- not just like people at large. Patreon is like you explicitly, like I think you go and you just say like, all right, I'm, I now exist as a content producer on Patreon and people can just like subscribe to your work mm-hmm. and every time you release something you do it through their api and then right. it charges all of the people who you basically are, are like i'm gonna pledge two dollar an article two dollars per like article to you and when you write an article i will pay you two dollars oh, like Weird. just to support yeah. general i've i've seen enough of your previous work to have a make a pretty good bet that i'm gonna like 
future versions of how you're of, of what you do. So I'm going to I'm going to be your patron generally. So like Porpentine was mm-hmm. the was how I heard about this. And I guess she's making like I don't know, five, six hundred bucks for every game. Yeah, that and that's releases. awesome. And it's like she knows more to a month, you know, and it's like not it's not a living yet. But like it doesn't take, you know, there's there's that notion of the thousand true fans who will just buy whatever you produce that is right. enough to sustain, a, you know, right. a creative work. And this is like, all right, this is just a machine for making that mm-hmm. happen. And yeah. that's awesome. I think it's great. My mind is dumb and always maps this stuff to Steam. But I wonder if. That could actually go larger through Steam once they get their because they, they keep talking about Steam Greenlight exists and is kind of a busted concept. It feels like to its core, like it has a yeah. lot of really weird issues. But Steam, like Gabe Newell has said, he doesn't like Greenlight, and the thing they want to end up doing is actually opening up the Steam storefront API so that different people can just use. Mm-hmm. You can just set up your own Steam store, but that would also presumably mean that you could set up your own Steam subscriptions and your own Steam downloadable content and things. So you could. Yeah. Yeah, you could bring all that stuff into the core gaming audience through something like that in a way that I, I mean, don't, if, if I don't, Steam inherently supported some sort of a subscription service, it wouldn't. Ha- it wouldn't even have to. If Steam had an API that you simply dialed into, you could just write you your own subscription yeah. service, yeah. and every month it would just dial into the Steam API yeah, know, and charge the person. It's kind of disastrous and lame to say, "Oh, maybe this will take off once it goes into Steam." But the reality of it is that everyone, or like the the biggest, hugest, like exponentially huger slice of the pie of people who deliberately sign into a thing to see what they should be playing is Steam and it would be yeah. uh, which is- you could actually basically already do that right now as long as you already had a Steam rep and you could release a game every month by just setting up your own subscription service through PayPal or something and just having it automatically I mean, send keys every yeah. time you yeah but anyway I don't know uh, sorry, for, sorry for immediately taking mm. the cool thing that you talked about and said what if Valve clones no, that I mean, this, <laughs> what if, what if this- I've only I've only known about it for a few days so it, you ruining yeah. it I wasn't really that no, invested, it's not ruining so. it but yeah. I always I feel guilty as a person when I say what if the most profitable corporation in this space cloned this service. <laughs> then would it be a successful idea? Right, then would, I, would it be real? I think what it does <laughs> is it, it creates the stories anyway where at least like, you know, the way that you make a, a, a successful work is by making a bunch of works, right? And so if yeah. this is a thing that it's like, well, I've got people who will, like, if I release this game, there are these people who like me enough that they're, you know, I'm going to make two or three hundred bucks from this. And so you'll just make a game. When, you know, if you had to focus on your day job, you wouldn't necessarily. Yeah. And then eventually you'll make a game that it's like they'll tell everybody and it'll get super popular. And then you'll get on Steam Greenlight because you'll have 90,000. you'll get yeah, greenlit. 90,000 fans. Or I love how the aspirational to, thing of yeah, this is to, still. To get on then Steam you'll Greenlight. get on Steam. <laughs> yeah, but so, you know, it yeah. doesn't take it doesn't take that many sales graphs being posted by indie developers who are actually honest about their revenue to see like oh okay well here's everything that happened prior to steam and here's when this became my job sure you know, but yeah, like, yeah for sure there's also i wish more people posted steam failures because there's a yeah, lot of games yeah, that don't yeah, get great there's definitely. a lot of games that do finally make it to steam and then don't Just, do anything yeah, uh-huh. right and for sure definitely steam obviously right now has it seems like a i mean that, that's true than anything yeah. other than just complete you are minecraft to to do well but i you know. yeah no you're absolutely right that's true with a lot of things. That's true. Like mobile is the exact same way. I mean, I think there have been more examples yep. now of fail, big mobile failures. But like it's it's definitely a lot of these spaces is very easy to look at the big successes and be like, what? Everyone's just wrecking it in on here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's always good to have. Steam counter- still seems like it has a lot of opportunity if you actually. I think Steam is still the best out of all of those in terms of reasonably giving you a chance to to do well. If you know, if if the wind blows in the right direction, like I think 
I think it still just comes down to the way that Valve ends up breaking all that stuff apart. Where like I think they they've successfully built Steam so that there is high traffic to the new games list, the top selling list, the free list, right. the yep. sale list, uh-huh. and all the featured games. Discover. I mean, discover. It's still the challenge on every platform, but I think discoverability is better on Steam than any other place you can buy games. Except this one patronage website where you can get twenty games. No, oh, sure. I mean, discoverability is like a hundred percent there because you just sign up and it sends them to you. You don't have to even look for them. You have to discover the person, I guess. That's true. Oh, I don't like discovering. We should go. Uh, we should go patronize Porpentine. Sounds like a good plan. I guess it does. It, there's something where it prevents you from. It prevents people from just arbitrarily spending all of your money by like you put in. Oh, you can put in. You like put in a, a monthly ceiling, limit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and I wonder good. like yeah, makes sense. What does that do to like? People, you're like, oh well, shit. If I if I release something early in the month, fewer people will have hit their their patronage limits or whatever. Oh, you rely on people like yeah. forgetting that they yeah. set this up. Like I've always been reluctant huh. to I've always been reluctant to set up like PayPal subscriptions for KOL because I hate the idea of getting money because people forget to turn right. off yeah, 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 the automated. Yeah, yeah. That's the way everyone makes their money, though. Yeah, but that's <laughs> gross. It's gross, <laughs> and yeah. And, and it's like, well, all right, I'll do that. And then somebody will say, you know, if you made the unsubscribe link a little more right. obscure and hit it, hit it <laughs> yeah. behind three or four hundred other elements. Does PayPal not have safeguards against that, though, in terms of like sending people emails oh, when they get charged? PayPal has uh, all of the safeguards yeah. because someone can just call PayPal and say, you know, I don't think that I actually want this. And then they'll just pull. They'll just charge back. Yeah. All of it. Bullshit. <laughs> so that that. Man, I they sent me a survey yesterday, and every once in a while, like they get me in the right kind of mood when somebody sends me a survey to really be honest about right. how I feel about my right. interactions with a big company. And those, yeah, I get to yell it, you know, yell at fucking nothing. You got I the, might as well, I might as well just walk outside and yell at the sky. Right, yeah, exactly. All the yeah. same things that I <laughs> you said. You got old man yells at cloud. Yeah, yeah. fully. Yeah. yeah, it's okay. PayPal. I mean, I don't envy PayPal being the outfit that has to interface between the credit card companies who are not fucking around and mm-hmm. every asshole on the internet who <laughs> right. all they're doing is fucking around. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's and true. Like, yeah. you know, that yeah. said they suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a tough position. Should be some reader mail. Yeah. Let's read some reader mail. Mail from you, the readers. Mm. Oh, I was wondering who it's from. Oh, it's from readers. I'll now say this now. now. It's from them, the readers. I, I, I sent you guys a reader mail once and yeah. Oh. Did now you? I'm on, now I'm on this. Yeah, it was about. Uh, it was about, and then I, I I talked to Steve about it later. It was about uh, like the fake randomness that Sid Meier talked about, and uh, you know, oh, where, faking where, faking die rolls. Like if you lose a bunch of battles in a row, the you're more likely that to that clearly rubber banded in favor of the players. Yeah. So the game didn't feel like it was cheating anymore. Yeah. That was fascinating and yeah. depressing, and revealing. Yeah. And I, I mean, my my mail is about you got to be careful with that because people will figure out how that works and start doing stupid shit to game it. And uh, is that something you learned, or just something that you? That is something that I learned. Yeah. Like, I want to hear about it now. You have to tell me. Well, there, like we had that when we when when KOL kind of went from being just joke to game, mm-hmm. and we sort of we implemented the like kind of repeated new game plus that is the core of of long-term KOL gameplay, we had to put in a boss, but like, because the numbers were just nonsense before, I mean, it was sort of just progress quests. So there were people with like a hundred in a stat and there were people with a hundred million in a stat. <laughs> we're like, how do we make, 
a thing yeah. that they can fight that's actually and so we sort of figured out how to make it like a fun fight but it was just impossible at certain levels because there was no way for us to make it right, not yeah. so we just put in this thing where it was like if you lost it a handful of times it just got easier so, so you, people started grinding yeah. to lose. So then the stat, so then the, the the like strategy guides just start saying first lose this fight six times, <laughs> then do yeah. this. And it's like ah fuck. Like yeah. so how'd you end up? That's not what that it. was for. I mean, or do you not want to reveal it? Well, we didn't. I mean, we <laughs> like at at the time we didn't think people were going to buy into the repeatedly starting over and playing through again. But then it, that turned out to be super popular and enduring. So, so did you start just, writing content yeah. in where the guy said, "Oh, you lost me"? No, no, no. I mean, we just made it not. Like that. We made it, we made it, the fight, it's okay for this fight to be trivial against somebody with 10 million and a stat because okay. nobody has that anymore. Oh, right. right like yeah. they just, they play through and it's like, we just, we don't have to, we don't have to have there it. There are be, people who've been grinding on the goofy yeah. pre version for so yeah, long. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, we don't care. Like, it's fine if you want to ruin your experience of this designed content by doing that. Like, whatever. Have fun. Before we do reader mail, do we want to talk about Candy Box 2? <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> so are you talking about web based weird games? Yeah. yeah. me of that. Yeah. Oh, WWGs. Uh, w- WBWGs. Sure. I mean, you could a web-based weird game. Way. Yeah. I've got that on a wristband, also. <laughs> <laughs> what would weird W-B-W-G. web-based weird W-B-W-G. game do? Yes. WWWBWGD. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. It takes two. It's wrists. a really long. Actually, yes. <laughs> you have, unless you got wrist yeah. implants. So I have those on my knuckles. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Candy Box 2. I played it. I didn't play the first Candy Box. Yeah. Oh, you didn't? It, I looked at it for a minute and said, Ugh. Wait, what, wait what, why? What was your reaction? What, what caused that reaction? Um, I think what actually caused that reaction was when Candy Box 1 came out, I was at Telltale, and I'm not um, a multi-tab browser guy very much. Like I, it's, It takes a huge amount of like mental fortitude for me to leave a tab open that I'm not actively uh, using. So uh-huh. to like... This game that was predicated entirely on modern browsing behavior where you're supposed to just leave a thing idling and then Uh come and check on it and go, oh, cool. Like at least the early game of Candy Box is sort of was the discovery of waiting. So I watched my friend show me it and then I came back into his office a couple hours later and said, oh, neat. It's turning into a huge game. And I thought it was cool, but I couldn't do it. But for some reason, since leaving Telltale... Your, your your behavior has it's morphed. It's just because of all the company setup stuff we've been doing. I've just had to have Gchat open. I've had to have Gmail right, and Calendar yeah, yeah, open yeah. all the time, and it's uh-huh. made me do that. So now I've got a fucking pinned Candy Box Two tab, and it it, right. it it has my life. Huh? It doesn't actually have my life. It has my so attention you, every now and then. Yeah. Right. So, huh? That's interesting because the like the vast like the huge percentage of the value of the original Candy Box for me was starting at this web page that looks like absolutely nothing yeah, it was, and then just constantly having my brain exploded for by me, how much more is for there. For me, it was cool to just play Candy Box 2 and experience the thing that I'd heard about, but it was not the same. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's like my friends all talked about Spinal Tap for five years. Then I finally saw it and said, okay, now I, that's the joke. Right, like, right. Uh, but it's still it's still entertaining to me. Uh-huh. Candy Box 2, I feel like, is a little less of that because it, for sure. it relies on you it having ramps played. Up way yeah, ramps up too. way faster. And, yeah. I mean... I don't know. Did you guys look at Cookie Clicker at all? I didn't play no. Cookie Clicker. Like, Cookie Clicker and... Cookie Clicker seemed like it was what just that? an imitator of Candy Box. It was, degree, but right? it didn't... I in it, what to, was to, to, to my mind, it didn't actually what understand it? what was good about... Like, it was just like, you have this many cookies, and you click this cookie, and you get more cookies, and you upgrade uh-huh. to make more cookies. So it's like cow but clicker? But it doesn't go anywhere. There's no... 
it's a lot fancier than cow clicker um mm-hmm. you know it has better graphics sure uh but but there's not it doesn't really surprise you like it's it's theoretically like still being worked on and they're adding actual game stuff to right. it but i feel like that's the core of what made well watching the UI I like top candy box box interesting was yeah was the it just how was quaint the, the, the whole change, thing is the change like over it, time yeah i like how naive candy box felt like it just was the, the even the ui even the ascii art had no coherency to it it was like this was obviously like this piece was obviously just found on an ascii art website this piece the author just made yeah. like it was clear the whole thing was like it almost felt like found art or like outsider art well but it was like it was like a game that you would make while you were learning javascript yeah right? it felt and like I a game where like someone kind of like learned a few but, principles but of it javascript built up into and then, an actual coherent thing that there's a there's like a there's well but it builds up and up as you can imagine the person getting more and more audacious right. with yeah, what exactly. they're able to but, do but in it, JavaScript. rather than going back and redoing the early stuff he exactly. just kept yeah, yeah, piling exactly. the new stuff yeah, that he yeah, figured yeah. out how to do onto the existing systems which is what you do it just doesn't normally result in something that anybody actually cares yeah. about right like oh well, sure but for yeah. whatever reason well like, also most you end up usually clicked. yeah throwing away the early stuff and yeah. like revising but he's there's like on his about page he's like yeah i'm looking for an internship somewhere if anybody wants to hire me to make video games that would be cool it's like jesus christ how much how much has Candybox cost this guy just in hosting and stuff? Right. Like it's, it's and in like, life, <laughs> it's like, Oh, right. The internet, that's a place where you can be real popular and it can and make ruin zero you. dollars. Yeah. yeah. Like, like surely that, I mean, just even, I mean, idle thumbs has never gotten nearly as much traffic, obviously as Candybox clearly does. But I mean, for years, idle thumbs was a 100% money losing enterprise for yeah, us. Where we just spend a bunch of money me, to like, yeah. At the at at the most like terrifying two hundred bucks a month and it usually more like thirty but still like yeah throwing just throwing money into this yeah. stupid thing I mean all of our podcast like if we didn't already pay for the bandwidth and stuff for KOL our podcast would just cost you know some number of thousands of dollars a year for just nothing right yeah mm-hmm. I mean they're fun yep I mean it's it's admirable that Candybox two there's still no way to pay for it um, isn't there not in the game I mean I think you can just donate to the person. Mm. Which is cool. I mean, but if you go to just whatever it is, candybox2.net, there isn't a donate button on the front. Yeah. It just says you have zero candies. It just starts. There was there was an imitator on the opposite end of the spectrum from Cookie Clicker. There was a game called A Dark Room that was just another sort of oh, candybox like. Yeah, no, I think it I was actually this. pretty good. Yeah, yeah I know yeah. a lot of people like, got really into that. It, it had it had a like real like right. weird, weird sort of like exploration component and like some some genuine like yeah, it's like net hacky. Sort of, yep. but it was like but it real, was another game that started at nothing that built. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but that actually that actually sort of had an arc, right? Like yeah. you would play it, it felt and then much it was more just, intentional. Yeah, it was like, and it was just like well, you you play this and then you get to the end and it says the end. Candy and, Box Two feels much more like there's at least okay. My perception of the first Candy Box is that it doesn't try to have. Does it yeah. have the same sort of like weird universal lore where the candy that you're collecting actually suddenly starts meaning stuff? Because like Candy Box, not sort of. I mean, Candy not, Box not Two really. has like the actual. You pick up the sealed candy box and characters talk yeah, about candy, the Yeah, candy box thing. is much more deliberate. Candy box 2 yeah. is much more deliberately constructed yeah. than the first game was, yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, that's natural, right? Because you have you would have an yeah. entire idea. It just means it's never going to, it's never going to, yeah. But the, re- the reason people want to, like, the reason you would play candy box 2 is totally different than the reason you would play the first one. Yeah. You would play the first one. Because someone links you this thing and you have no idea what it's about, and then you just have successive mind right. explosions. You play Candy Box like that's, because you want more Candy Box. Yeah, yeah. it's impo- right. Exactly, you want more of the thing you already yeah. discovered. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's pretty clever. Like there's there's a lot of stuff that's not it's so cool. I'm still playing it. Yeah, there's a You're lot of stuff about Candy that Box like too. Yeah, 
I mean, Candybox One was pretty clever too. Like there, there yeah. was stuff. There was stuff that you could just let it sit for a few days and make this real easy and just stomp through it, or you could like. Well, that's what I do when I leave work on Fridays. It yeah. just sits there on my computer <laughs> right. at work. And then you come back. Later I came in like, this morning and I had like, yeah, like six million lollipops, and I'm yeah. like, sweet. And then, except there's that <laughs> one. You can buy that hat. The witch's hat is a hundred. Bill, or is it a billion? It's one, I think billion. It's one billion lollipops <laughs> to buy the witch's hat. Yeah, and you don't yeah. even know what it does. That can't be as good as the octopus's crown with jaspers. <laughs> I haven't killed the octopus good. yet. I, I haven't either. I, I think you guys are further. It's weird that there seems to be like a fixed number of chocolate bars available. Which, yeah, which limits like you're making sort of permanent character right. advancement. I think we're getting too choices. far in the weeds. Yeah, yeah no, for it's, anyone who hasn't played this game. But no, that's that is a strange, incongruous thing to me mm-hmm. that they would actually like make choices that can't be undone. Yeah. In in the context of something that like they had, mainly the way that you play, they it, had like, elements of that in the, in the first game as no. well. It yeah. was friendlier than I expected because I used. Well, I'm just gonna dive off the cliff entirely for half a second. Okay. Because I use a chocolate bar in the well to upgrade an item, but I realized that I had no more upgradable items, and I panicked. Because I thought I had thrown away a chocolate bar, which I had figured out at that point was a finite resource. But if you come back you with a new item, it'll, oh, okay. it'll let you do it. Which actually kind of made me sad because the entirety of that game seems predicated on the idea that if you want, you can just eat all the candy. Or you can just throw yeah. all of it on mm-hmm. the floor. Yeah. In I feel first, like there's probably stuff that you can't do if you make bad choices with that. Which, yeah. is, which is weird. Yeah, I should probably stop feeding chocolate bars to the well to upgrade my items, but it makes my health regenerate and stuff. Yeah. I'm sure at some point someone's going to say, give me two chocolate bars, and I'm going to say, No, it's a, I think you only use them on upgrades to your items or upgrades to your character. Okay. And I mean, who knows? Man, maybe you balanced it so that any... Se- maybe you can't gimp yourself. You know? You'll never know. Yeah. Until someone makes the Candy Box 2 wikia and yeah. explains uh, every fucking that, thing. That probably Undoubtedly it probably, already it's exists. It's already done. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, the fact that... The weird thing about HTML5 games is like, here's a view source. Like, oh, you want to just, you want to know, you want That's the, true, the so code to decide? There's look. probably a stupid Chrome or like, uh, whatever. Grease uh, Monkey. Grease Monkey extension that quadruples the speed of the candy box clock. Yeah. Like, I'm sure yeah. I, I think you could just do that in the JavaScript console. You could, yeah. That's like, right. You could probably actually just paste a JavaScript command and it just gives you all yeah. the candy. Yeah. Yeah. You could just but set a variable someone, equal to something. I hope someone actually just makes one that looks like the interface to yeah. a game genie. Is it a gre- yeah, like a, there's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a grease yeah. monkey script that just <laughs> actually puts a picture of a game genie on the screen. You yeah. Like, I don't what think would, it what would be hilarious would be someone releasing a new CSS style sheet for candy box that just makes the game look crazy. But it's like the exact same code underneath. Anyway, or like let's, uh, let's, like an Edsky candy box. Uh, sure, yeah, or yeah, 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 yeah. Let's let's move on. What? I I, I just <laughs> want to talk. About, this is Candy Box Two Day, where we only talk about Candy Box Two yeah. uh, in the style of Game Name Today podcast. This is in fact the last one, and it will be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tr Hampton writes. Hello, guys. Just thought I'd chime in on the discussion you had about Let's Plays possibly hurting sales of horror games due to the spoilerish nature of them. This is sad to admit, but I'm a 31-year-old male, ex-military, and I cannot play games like Outlast, Amnesia, or even Fear because they freak me out. Having said that, I really enjoy watching Let's Plays of other people playing these games, possibly due to the fact that I'm slightly less immersed in the experience, just removed enough that I can enjoy the story without having to change my underwear even 20 minutes. Um, So while I was never going to buy the game myself due to me being a baby, I'm still aware of the game's quality and the developer behind it. Is this something that would or should be considered a success by the studio? Just wanted to share. Roy. Interesting question. I don't know. I mean, I personally only ever watch a Let's Play of a game if I know that I'm not going to play it myself. Well, I think so, he. Uh, I think that's the case. Yeah, with yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's hard. To, it's hard to 
it's hard to imagine like the kind of person who would watch a let's play to determine whether they're going to buy a game or not. Like, does that person exist? I guess it probably does. Well, there's a, well, if you phrase it that way, that's probably less common, not necessarily watch it to determine as much as watch it because you already like the person doing the let's play, then decide, wow, that looks cool. I'm going to buy it. That definitely happens all the time. That Mm -hmm. happens all the time for sure. Yeah. Let's players as like tastemakers is a thing. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. It's tough to say. Like if you made a thing and then someone derived enjoyment out of watching a let's play of it, even if they had no intention to buy it. I mean, I guess that I would still be cool. if the person is never going to play it, that's cool because that person is going to, like he said, I mean, he specifically said, I can see the work that people are doing in games and enjoy it and become a fan of that particular game maker, mm-hmm. which presumably means that that person, if they're that into it. Yeah, like if they made then, a game that wasn't a horror game, maybe this guy right, would buy that, that game. Or from that guy's going to go to his friend and say, have you played Outlast or have you sure, played right. Bleh. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a net positive, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it probably also depends on. But generally. he also pirates five copies himself, which is five <laughs> lost sales. Shit. <laughs> I guess it depends on whether you like. If you feel like the primary, if people approach games where the primary value is like being surprised by the game, or the primary value is just like playing it and actually being immersed in the atmosphere and being in control of it, like I can imagine a person who enjoyed survival horror games and wouldn't be bothered by having seen the surprising parts of them right because i mean the, i can certainly imagine a guy playing a survival horror game again and right. still yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. still enjoying totally, it totally. And so uh-huh. i guess i guess it's sort of a broad like demographic temperament question whether yeah that's actually going to have any effect on how you feel about the game in the future yeah i feel great about it do you no oh uh chris carriage writes weird spelunky thing hey thumbs around the same time chris and nick started doing the daily challenge i thought i'd start doing it as well Last Saturday night, I tuned into them streaming the Daily Challenge just as Chris beat Olmec. Congratulations. I mistakenly thought Chris had beaten Olmec on his Daily Challenge run, and I set my new goal to do, as, to do to at least do as well as he did that day since I hadn't done the Daily Challenge yet. I noticed lots of things about his run in the small amount of time I watched, Kapala, Jetpack, etc., and I decided to try and emulate them since they're good items anyway. It turned out that in Jungle 2-1, there's a spot that if you spent two ropes and $10,000, you... Uh, you should buy a helper and sacrifice him and sa- sacrifice the damsel on the same floor. So I figured that's what Chris had done, and I got the Kapala there. I also went to the black market, as I assumed Chris had done. I noticed how expensive the jetpack was. How could Chris have bought it if he already bought the helper to sacrifice? He must have robbed the black market. I now realized I was superimposing the events of one Spelunky run onto the level generation of a different run, and it's a testament to the flexibility of the human mind that I didn't figure out what was going on. I died in the black market, too. It turns out if you're hit by a tiki trap while floating with a cape, you continue to float even when you're stunned. Anyway, I thought this was interesting. Also, also Chris. His name is Chris. That is really cool because it reminds me of... Well, it, it reminds me of a, a dumb thing. It doesn't, I don't know. Sorry. Reminds me is probably the wrong word, but the... The phenomenon of seeing someone do something and kind of imagining in your brain how they accomplished it and then applying it to your own life and then as the result of that, totally stretching your ability because you're trying yeah, to achieve a totally. thing. And then once you've achieved that, going back and looking at what the other person did and go, wait a minute, that's not how they did that at all. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. totally just did all these shortcuts that I didn't know the, or like a, their circumstances were so different that yeah, it didn't apply. Totally. There's a great quotation by Pete Townsend of The Who who's like – one of my all-time favorite musicians ever. Um, and he said, I can't remember the precise phrasing, um, but it's something to the effect of the history of rock music is the history of musicians 
attempting to emulate others and in the process of doing so finding their own voice like that like you know because rock music traditionally is not trained it's something you just kind of hear something and go like i want to do that i'm just going to figure it out i guess Mm -hmm. and like shittily playing my instrument without really knowing anything about it and then ending up actually arriving at some interesting place um you know through probably totally different means than the person you were originally trying to emulate did. yeah like yeah my early time at Telltale was entirely that, where I was like, what's a video game website look like? I imagine it looks <laughs> like this ridiculous thing. And then yeah. I didn't ever make a ridiculous thing, but I made something better than I would have made. Or like, I'm sure game releases are all supposed to have five hours of commentary tracks. Like, yeah. that's what a Valve puts in their game, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. Now I know that I did everything in, the, in a completely, like acrobatically gratuitous, expensive, life-wasting way, but at the end of the day, now I know how to do all that stuff. Yeah. I think that's kind of the only way to discover what you're good at, right? Because nobody nobody sets out to think, oh, I should do this thing that's fucking impossible. Right, you'd right? Say, you're yeah. like, oh, I must... This, but yeah, you look at something else and go, yeah, how this, the hell did that happen? This must be how you do yeah. it, and that's how anybody finds out that anybody is capable of doing anything remarkable, right? Yeah. yeah. What Can you think of a specific example of a thing where you've misinterpreted something that somebody's done and then done something totally amazing? I would not qualify anything that I've done as totally amazing, but the cheesiest <laughs> example in the entire world is it's it's cheesy because it's a trade show booth. But I went to PAX and I saw Hothead Games' booth for the Penny Arcade Adventures, and I thought it was really, really, really well done. And until uh, it was PAX like oh six or seven, I think. And Telltale's booth that year was literally like the best we could do because we'd never done a trade show before and it was like a card table and like two small little round uh, like cocktail tables with demo computers and the card table just had a bunch of t-shirts and I saw the hothead booth that had like these sort of spin-off huge banners and their middle area was like a break area slash merch thing and I was like Jesus like storage wow that's that's what you do but I didn't pay enough attention or actually ask anyone (laughs) how they'd made it so then me and uh, Doug and Emily, the Telltale marketing people, were like, we want a booth that's, that's like that. What, like a classy trade show booth. So then we were like, how the hell do we do that? Well, our friend's friend is a theatrical set designer who makes things for traveling shows. That's probably like a trade show booth. But at the end of the day, we had this booth that was like made out of lacquered wood that had like laser cut Telltale logos oh, in shit. it. And like... <laughs> In inset lighting and all these things that shipped in two huge wooden crates that you would use to pack a theater set and it was a fucking bitch to set up but it looked but at the end of the day it looked absolutely nothing like the hothead booth because <laughs> right. we went to packs and we were really near them and went, wait what <laughs> the fuck did we make we made this weird fucking wooden robot but like we were really proud of it and we got a ton of compliments on it and it was unlike any other trade ship booth that ever existed and I would also never recommend anyone do anything like it because it was a fucking disaster but we were all really proud of it because it was really unique and people thought it was interesting, but uh, it was done entirely because we said, I think this is kind of it just, what those it guys just, did. It just taped your brain down the like hill, well, we which of, it, snow, it snowballed yeah, we kept, we kept drawing pictures of what we thought it looked like and what they must have done, having had right. no photos of it, but just our memory of sort right. of yeah, yeah, what yeah. it looked like they achieved. But then at the end of the day, we had this, it was just, it ended up so different. But if you told someone what it was, and it's it's dumb that my example is a trade show booth, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, it is. that's the thing. That's a, that is a thing that takes a ton of work, and it's really easy to do a bad job. Of yeah, it and real. I mean, at the end of the day, we probably actually did do a bad job because that thing was so, like it didn't meet any of the actual practical requirements of a trade show booth, <laughs> in that it had to actually be like shipped 
a, a truck was basically dedicated just to bring the huge crates that contained the right. giant wooden legs of that thing. But it was also really cool to see a like lacquered, uh, finished off, like sanded and polished wood booth that then had weird pictures of cartoon dogs and rabbits all over it. And if it got a bunch of attention, that's what it's for. Yeah. Right. They got more attention by building an entire replica of a set from The Walking Dead, it turns out. Yeah. Uh, by, but, uh, you know, a nice polished piece of wood that has your logo cut in it also makes one guy notice it. <laughs> At least in 2007. Yes. After that, everybody ups their game. After, well, after Anno 2007, because they all, they all walked to the self Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, bespoke. Kevin Weiser writes... Hey, Thumbs, you guys throw around the word bespoke. I know the traditional definition of the word is made to, made to fit a particular person or lol, the past tense of bespeak, but I don't think either of those are what you guys are referring to when you use it. Could you please talk about what bespoke means as far as industry insider talk means? Thanks, fuck Nick, wizard, etc. Kevin Weiser, thewalkingeye.com. Um, yeah, I think when we say that, what we mean is content in a game that is specifically authored for a particular situation that the player is going to encounter as opposed to um, content that is directly repeated or generated through some kind of like procedural system. system emergent type yeah. Stuff. yeah. Yeah. Like a one-off thing that exactly like, a one-off every, thing every that every only exists was yeah. chosen to be this thing. only exists in the game one time yeah. for a particular purpose. So when the player walks through it, they're getting this exact experience. Like a moment in Half Life Two, like where you turn around and see this huge crazy vista. Right. But like that yeah, some games gonna... like Half Life games or Call of Duty games have a way higher percentage of that than a lot of other games because right. it's expensive. Yes, I remember when adventure when, games have a ton of that. Adventure games first, are in fact all that. Yeah, they're basically all that. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. When we first met and you talked about when we were talking about <clears throat> Kingdom of Loathing and you mentioned that it had a, that it seemed to be mostly bespoke content. I didn't it sort of didn't occur to me that there was any other way to do it, which I guess <laughs> is is kind of that thing, right? Like, like Tetris got, has very little bespoke yeah, content. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right, but I mean like I like just as an RPG, right? Like the, this I feel like every, you know, every quest in World of Warcraft Although I guess some of them are probably just reskins right, of reskins yeah, of other things. Even that though, like, the, the moment-to-moment like, stuff that you do in most World of Warcraft quests is absolutely not bespoke. Sure. It's just six enemy types spawn, yeah, 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 and like, yeah. you spend hours and hours in that game playing yeah, sure. the repetitive, really systems-driven stuff. And I and I guess like with, with something as low fidelity as KOL, so much of what the experience is is just the kind of dre- the the dressing content, right? of it. It's yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like there's there's very little value in just like we can't just make a monster that's the same as another monster because it's not right. You just it wouldn't be. It would literally be the same monster again because all it is is like a picture. We can't give it a different behavior, right? Like we can't just like stick figure dude like oh we we mirrored it, palette shifted it to slightly <laughs> right. less sure. black and white like. Wouldn't it wouldn't work? This guy is transparent. It's the ghost of the previous guy. <laughs> it is. Uh, all the messages are the same for when he hits you and stuff. Yes. Because <laughs> well, it just programmatically adds. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> it's Halloween. It is almost. I know. Mm. We missed Dishonored Halloween this year. We failed. Well, it's actually it's been said that uh, this might be a Dishonored leap here. No, I think which... I think just. Uh, Odd-numbered Dishonored Halloweens take place six days after the even-numbered mm, Dishonored right. Halloween. Right, so DST, Dishonored Savings Time, <laughs> where every other year all the holidays are shifted by well, two weeks. Uh, the holidays are shifted by different numbers depending on their depending on their DST quotients. <laughs> okay, sure. Depending yeah. on their Dishonored Savings Time, Dishonored uh, Shift, 
value. They're DSTDSV. <laughs> um, hmm. But as we've probably discussed, Dishonored Europe observes slightly different <laughs> date shifts because, yeah, they start their they start Dishonored savings time earlier. So anyway, happy Dishonored Halloween. Tomorrow is Halloween. Yeah. I think I picked up bespoke from Irrational. I think when I worked at Irrational, that was a phrase that got tossed around a lot. I think that's where I picked it up in my own mm. personal vernacular. Oh, should we talk about our Corvo masks? Oh, yeah. We, should we talk? Sorry. Let me back that up. Should we talk about the nice masks? Yeah, we received? received some nice masks in the mail. Yeah. Um, should I just read the, the letter? Do we want to just, yeah, okay. Just okay. read the. Um, hey, Thumbs. Shortly after shipping Dishonored, the home office sent us a few hundred launch kits that the employees were welcome to grab, give to friends, etc. Nick is probably familiar with these. They were filled with various Bethsoft swag articles, Skyrim shirts, cardboard speaker things, etc. Before we got rid of the last load of these things, I grabbed several of them just in case I thought of people who wanted them. After hearing the tail end of episode 128, it became clear what I must do with the Corvo masks. Happy Dishonored Halloween, Rich Wilson. Um, P.S. Because I'm paranoid, I want to note that I'm in no way acting in the interest of Bethesda in any official capacity. And then there's a, there's a great like further postscript here that says, The packaging on the masks states that they should not be worn while, quote, performing any activity. <laughs> not sure if that's because of vision obstruction or harmful chemicals in the rubber that lead to asphyxiation, so you've been disclaimed. But then the masks, the packaging on the masks themselves has even more extreme disclaimers that we should probably read. Can oh. we grab one of these? Yeah, let's, let's just grab... Grab one of those nice masks. Here, I'll grab... Here, you can have the packaging, and I um, will, in fact, don my... my... <laughs> oh, there's... Okay. Sorry, the inside of the mask itself... Uh, okay, the only notable note on the mask itself is for display pur- for display purposes only. Yeah, but then there's a strap to put it on your face. Right. So what does that mean? Uh, it's a strap to put it on a mannequin head. The strap is, in fact, put on... <laughs> The giant Corvo stand-up in your regional <laughs> GameStop that they've right, kept. Yeah. So you just put a worse mask over his so the, good mask. the first two sentences on the packaging are, this is not a toy, this is an adult collectible. Which is right off the bat, you're putting on basically a gimp mask. You can tell that it, look. You look like a chimpanzee in that thing. Uh, I believe I look like the, mouth, the world's greatest assassin. Because the jaw extends really far out, like in a way that human faces don't. You ha- uh... I wonder if that's because the uh, the characters in Dishonored have such weird stylized faces. Maybe it is. I wonder if if this is what Corvo's chin looks like. If I stroke uh, my new my nice chin. This bag is not a toy. Plastic bag can be dangerous. <laughs> to avoid danger of suffocation, please keep this bag away from babies and children. So get it out of this office immediately. Am I right? Because of the way that the crazy eye fixtures of this mask are structured, it basically spends its entire existence poking directly into your eye. (laughs) Well, that's why it's for display purposes only. (laughs) Do not attach to eyeball. You look like you're constantly just jutting your jaw out and looking. (laughs) It's because of the offset of these Corvo eyes. Well, because I'm scared. Well, this is good at radio here. Jake's wearing a nice mask. We're just looking at each other in mask. Yep. <clears throat> Should we call it? Yeah. All right. These may appear in a future live stream. God, I can see your eye blinking through only one of the eyes, and it's creepy as hell. <laughs> Jesus. Welcome. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Talk guys. to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Oh, thanks, Zach. Oh, thanks hey, for yeah, coming on, Zach. Thank you. Do you want to plug a video game or podcast? I know. I already did.